And we are back. It is the Brolitically Correct Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Tommy. And ladies and gentlemen, and non-gender binary identifying individuals, we are official like we a made referee it. With, a wh- with a whistle. We made it. We made it, ladies and gentlemen. And we may have kind of a... Um, Let's just call it not a super professional logo, but we are on iTunes. I think the logo is fantastic. <laughs> it was done um, about 30 minutes in Microsoft Paint. You know, only the best of the best here at the Brolitically Correct Podcast. But um, basically, it's just a placeholder. Just like this podcast used to be known as Decadent and Depraved. And that was just a placeholder until we got that that beautiful, that sweet, sweet inspiration from from the muses, from the gods. And then we became brolitically correct. That that logo's kind of the same thing, just a placeholder until until the image comes to me in a dream. So I appreciate you working on that logo and making it um like an LA themed uh logo. <laughs> like Los Angeles Dodgers, but B C politically correct big fan blue yeah. and white i think that's a good <laughs> color scheme yeah we decided on the blue and white um and as it's not a um los angeles dodgers inspired logo that's just an original creation yeah yeah yeah. My mind. Mind. <laughs> uh, yeah for sure no but uh we were inspired yes there's some inspiration so we'll see um we have a couple things in the works uh tommy and i have a couple of pretty darn good artists in our lives so that's gonna evolve as we continue to evolve because we don't stop baby we no. just keep rocking and rolling we're we're growing we're evolving and this thing's gonna get better and better and better and better we're making moves oh yeah There's literal moves i mean literally we're gonna we're gonna go into this tommy moved <laughs> nice segue you know from north all the way up north to all the way down south. And he's back in um, the confines of Southern California. How you doing? The beautiful, friendly confines of Los Angeles. How was that trip? It was not, this is not easy. That's a tough drive if anyone's ever done it. I left that, so I drove from like 45 minutes northeast of Seattle to San Luis Obispo, which is about three hours north of Los Angeles, and just one pedal to the metal uh golden earring radar love playing in the background just the entire time 18 hours um i left at like 3 a.m 2:45 a.m and just stopped for fuel and food and got into san luis obispo around like 9 p.m i hope my math adds up on that and the thing about the drive that I haven't experienced yet was just the fact that the entire West Coast is on fire, including like Canada, pretty much from central Washington all the way down till I got to San Luis Obispo. It was just, it, it smelled like you were at a campfire, but not a campfire that you wanted to be at. It was depressing and it was just smoke everywhere. The entire state of Oregon is just up in smoke, uh, Mount Shasta, all that. Um, so that was kind of difficult and uh, wasn't wasn't good on the old respiratory system, but I made it. There are bigger problems in this world, and uh, I did what I needed to do, and I'm here now. 
and I'm excited for my for my next step. But uh, definitely sad to to leave the great Northwest. Had a great three years up there. Uh, grew a lot as a person, and it was something that I needed to do before I could kind of settle into Los Angeles. So i uh, feeling nostalgic, but excited for the next adventure. Speaking of everything being on fire and smoke all over the place, um, I, I did a little scientific experiment, and I found that there is a direct correlation between my use of the slang term he, she, they, you don't want that smoke and the sun actually be being blotted out by smoke. So, I don't know. Look into it is all really? I'm saying. Yeah. I don't really follow you there, but that sounds interesting. You've never heard the phrase, they don't want that smoke, he don't want that is smoke, you don't want that, that smoke. Like, is that like some trash talk in the octagon or like on the field of battle? Like, you don't want that smoke? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Like, you don't want this? It's, you know, it's you, you're not in tune with the youths. Um, so did you create these wildfires? Maybe. I mean, like a like know, a native boxers American, started uh, using it. You know, boxers started using it. Rappers started using it. Um, NFL players started using it, and then I started using it. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, you might have some powers you're not even aware of. Who knows? Maybe by summoning the smoke, we got the smoke. The we smoke don't monster. I, all I know is I don't want that smoke. My lungs don't want that smoke. I'm not ready nah, for it. No, it's not good for everybody. Anybody. It's also just super depressing because that drive can be beautiful. Just I-5 the entire West Coast, but it was anything but. And visibility was so poor. So you didn't decide to hop on the 101 and do the 101 all the way down? No, I was on a mission to get there as quick as possible, and that would have taken like an extra 20, 30 minutes. So obviously I couldn't spare that time. Gotcha. And when you arrived in SoCal, how does that work? I mean, do they just have the red carpet laid out for you? The, the keys yeah, to the city, they're they just sure presented? Did. They sure did. San Luis Obispo, the mayor was waiting for me. They had like a whole uh, train and uh, parade going on, flowers, uh, shaking hands, kissing babies. And then I, they escorted me to my uh, friend's 500-square-foot uh, apartment, which was lovely. Um, and I had my own couch, which was amazing. And uh, I went to some little brew pub and got a uh, delicious uh, sliders, I believe. So, I mean, they they went all out. I, I Big ups to, to San Luis Obispo for, for going all out for me. I really appreciate it. There we go. Well, let's get into it. Um, there was some breaking news last night. Not, not super breaking, but um, some judgments came down. Some sentences were handed out, and I'm not talking about our President Donald Trump. I'm talking about Urban Meyer, the president of Ohio State football. Basically. So uh, some sentencing came down. Urban Meyer suspended three games, first three games of the season. Your thoughts, Tom? couple thoughts on Urban Meyer. He's pretty much untouchable in terms of his football winning greatness um college football fans there's a there's a line in the sand between morals and just getting wins on saturdays and i feel like a lot of college football college football fans including myself well not really including myself but a lot of college football fans they really only care about what you're doing on saturdays are you beating michigan are you beating michigan state are you getting to the playoffs are you winning national championships and so the ruling that we saw yesterday was a three-game suspension for covering up sexual abuse, um, domestic violence, 
uh, and other wrongdoings by Urban Meyer's former assistant, Zach Smith. But the thing that I don't understand about the ruling is a three-game suspension is kind of in no man's land. If you found him at fault and found that he should have done more, that he covered up, that he was protecting his own guy in the in the face of these horrible offenses, then that shouldn't be a three-game suspension. That's got to be way more severe. But if you don't find him at fault for anything, then why give him a suspension at all? So the three-game suspension was a head-scratcher because you're really not doing anything other than just like kind of just putting it under the rug and saying, well, hopefully we can just move on from this. And I think if Urban Meyer goes out and beats Michigan and Michigan State and leads Ohio State to the the playoffs in the national championship, I think a lot of Buckeye fans will be happy to forget about this whole ordeal in the first place. So not super thrilled about how any of this went down. Um, the speech that Urban Meyer gave last night uh, to the media was embarrassing. It was just uh, a written speech that I'm assuming somebody else wrote. Didn't show any act of contrition. He didn't even look at anybody. It was like a POW reading a speech. Uh, just It seems like he's just didn't care about this situation, didn't take it serious whatsoever. Never mentioned Courtney Smith's name, Zach Smith's former wife. So I don't know. I thought it was embarrassing. Um, bad luck for college football. It just kind of shows that as long as you're winning, you're pretty much untouchable. And just to give a little more background to that, so Zach Smith, uh, assistant coach, correct? Uh, he was a wide receivers coach, and I believe he wide receivers. And he, I think he might have even played for Urban Meyer back at when uh, Meyer was at Bowling Green State. So he kind of groomed this guy from a really young age. Yeah, and so you know, been involved in with Urban Meyer for quite a while. His his grandfather was some um, great big figure. Yeah, I think his grandfather helped and. As always, nepotism always helps in the football world. And um, so, Urban Urban Meyer said that his loyalty to Zach Smith's grandfather, who was a staple within the Ohio State football program, clouded his judgment. But um, Zach Smith, domestic violence uh, incidents, uh, whatever you want to call him, with his wife Courtney Smith. In addition to that. Dude was getting a little wild at work. Dude did a lot of weird things at work. Uh, he was messing around with an assistant in the facility, the Woody Hayes facility, the athletic facility. When they were invited to the White House um, after they won the national championship, he was taking some inappropriate pictures in the White House with like the White House uh, like towels that has the logo on it. So the guy was guy didn't fear a whole lot of rules. Yeah, getting a little crazy, having sex toys sent to the office, that sort of thing. Um, and the the it came down to, I guess, that Urban Meyer knew about what was going on, just didn't take enough steps, but didn't try to cover it up. It's, it's very strange the way they worded, uh, yeah. I guess, the extent of Meyer's knowledge and the steps he took right. after and he found out. Definitely, and... Uh, back at Big Ten Media Day, um, which is like three or four days of media right before the season starts, like, so like the end of July, early August, um, he had been questioned about these allegations, and uh, Urban Meyer just ignored them all and said he didn't know anything and essentially lied to the media, which is kind of prevalent these days, but um, just kind of another black mark on just how serious Urban Meyer didn't take any of this and just really didn't care about any of it. 
And do we see a pattern forming in Urban Meyer's um, coaching career and his yeah, handling of these situations? For sure. I mean, if you look, so before he was at um, Ohio State, he was at Florida for uh, an amazing run if you're just looking at wins and productivity on Saturdays. But if you look at the arrest records and how many arrests his players at Florida had, it was shockingly atrocious. Um, not to mention he had Aaron Hernandez, um, who's, uh, we all know uh, his story. Um, so he had Aaron Hernandez. He had the Pouncey Twins, who are often in trouble. He had Riley Cooper, just throwing N-bombs everywhere. He did have Timothy Tebow, which certainly helps kind of keep his uh, image clean and win games. But, yeah, some of the guys on that Florida team, I think they had like 30 arrests in one season or, or over the course of like three seasons. The numbers are shocking. Um, so, yeah, Trouble has definitely followed him. I think he really only cares about one thing at the end of the day, and that's winning football games. And he does a great job of doing that. But at what cost to your fans, the people around you, the family members of your own coaching staff? Uh, he's, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't remember hearing as much about him at, at Utah, but then again, maybe we just haven't heard anything yet. But um, he's he's certainly had trouble everywhere he's been. Yeah, and in his six years at Florida, it looks like there are 31 players arrested with charges ranging from aggravated stalking to domestic violence by strangulation. Oh, yeah, these aren't like little petty crimes like stealing crab legs. These are legit felonies. Aggravated assault, burglary, larceny. So not a great look for Urban Meyer and kind of... I mean, Aaron Hernandez literally killed people while he was at Florida. Yeah. Not that, not that uh, Urban Meyer knew about that. Maybe no, because he scored two knows. touchdowns against LSU last Saturday, <laughs> so that's all he cares about. Yeah, and we see, especially with the the domestic violence uh, situation, we see within football kind of a pattern of oh, we get really upset really quickly, and then you know the punishment gets handed down. It's not exactly um, maybe fitting. No. of the situation and then we forget just as quickly i mean look at look at the ray rice situation right that that situation was blown over very quickly and you know ray rice was back to running the ball not not shortly after that whole situation happened so yeah that's that's the problem that i have with this is that it's just i feel like it, it might still be on urban meyer's wiki page but it's going to be a little little anecdote and i think he's going to keep winning football games they have a loaded team this year that this is just going to all be kind of just a very small side note, and it shouldn't be. It's kind of a bigger deal than that. So that's uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at with, with the suspension, uh, lack thereof, rather. Do these three games that he's missing, does it even affect Ohio State's they, season? They do play TCU, uh, I believe, in the first three games, and they're ranked 16th, which is a non-conference game, but that's, uh, that's still potential for losing. They open up with Oregon State. That shouldn't be an issue. It's um, o- Oregon State, which Oregon State is garbage. Yeah. Rutgers. Rutgers yeah. also, you know, That's just a step above hot garbage. And yeah. and then you have TCU, who's actually ranked number 16 yeah, in the TC- nation. TCU could do some stuff, but, I mean, if it's not like they're opening up with three headbangers. They got two games that they should be able to walk through and then gear up for one big TCU game, and then they realize they have Urban Meyer coming back. So I don't know if it'll affect them that much. I'd like to see Gary Patterson go into the horseshoe and get a win. I mean, he's capable of it, but we'll see. 
So uh, do you want to change last uh, last episode you picked Michigan <laughs> to win the Big Ten? Does this change now? Uh, can I just go change again and go to Wisconsin? You're, yeah, definitely. Did I not pick Wisconsin originally? You said Michigan in the beginning of the episode and later in the episode yeah. you talked about how Wisconsin also had a really solid shot at yeah. winning Yeah. I think I'm just kind of over Meyer and Harbaugh right now. Harbaugh has nothing to do with this. Uh, but I like Paul Chris, and I saw that they came out with three All-Americans on the preseason team, which also doesn't matter, but it just kind of validates my feeling towards Wisconsin. Uh, they won't be able to do anything in the playoffs or if they ever play, like, an SEC team. Uh, but I think they can do some stuff in the Big Ten. Uh, Big Ten's loaded this year. Yeah, pre-stack division. Um from from in all even the the bottom teams are improving. You know, if yeah. you look at Purdue's improving, Rutgers improving, right. Nebraska's improving. Yeah, they're all they're all getting better. So, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, a little disappointing, uh, honestly, in the world of college football. But it is anything else in college football you want to touch on while we're here? No, but just to reiterate, like it it really doesn't matter if you're if you're a college football coach and you're winning at a high profile program. Outside of Joe Paterno, I mean, you could pretty much get away with anything, which could is shoot, unfortunate. Could shoot somebody on Fifth Ave, and they'd still. I mean, as long as you're beating your in-state rival and winning the conference championships every couple of years, you're going to be okay. And it's just, it's like an all-boys club. Um, you know, Urban Meyer's from Ohio. He's got so many deep, deep roots there. I mean, I never really, never, uh, this might sound negative, but I never really anticipated him getting suspended for even three games. I thought he'd walk. Negative, realistic, however you want to word it. I mean, it is what it is. All right. Um, let's move over to the big boys of football, the NFL. Yeah. Uh, how's preseason been evolving for you, Tom? Preseason's good. Um, I, I kind of I was super pumped for the first two games, or first two weeks, rather, of preseason. Kind of stalled. Uh, not not looking too forward to any of the, the preseason uh, week three games. I know that the third week is supposed to be like the kind of final dress rehearsal for all the starters. Um, nothing really popping out off the top of my head. Um, a couple interesting quarterback uh, competitions to watch. Interested to see what the Jets do with Bridgewater and Darnold. Um, I kind of think they should just trade Brid- Bridgewater and get some value for him. He's looked good, and then they could just uh, build off of Darnold since they drafted him so high. You kind of have to use your future anyways. Um Still watching Hard Knocks. Love Hard Knocks. Um, I think Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback there. But, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of ready for the for the real season to begin. What do you think about the way that they are calling, that the referees are calling these personal fouls, or I forget what the exact uh Yeah, exact that's, that's I'm glad you brought that up. That's been a, a hot topic. Well, I think they stated before the preseason that they're going to overcall that penalty in the preseason they're going to overdo it and then at the end they were going to make like a compilation and go back and review um like the entire situation see what they can improve if they need to like scale it back so it's kind of just an experiment for the refs in the league so i don't really have a problem with it i know richard sherman's been pretty vocal about it even though he hasn't played a game yet uh so i'm okay with it i i people are probably going to get mad because as as a quarterback i always try to defend the offensive uh personnel but i i totally understand why the defense is so upset about it and how 
they're just saying it's becoming a flag football and how it's impossible and i get it you're moving so fast and things change and it's just like almost impossible to, to tackle the way the nfl has made it but also i don't think it's impossible i think you can do it the right way and uh try to protect the big names in the nfl because that's you know that's where your paycheck comes from is from fans watching all these big names play so uh, I don't have a problem with them doing it in the preseason. I just hope they can tighten it up and, and make sure it's not going to just ruin the outcome of every game in the regular season. Hopefully they they do tighten it up because, some of the, like you're saying, they're being, um, I guess, over-liberal with the use of these personal fouls. Um, because I saw one in the Niners game. Man, I don't know how you could call it. I yeah. Mean, Tackled, tackled a player, kind of led with their head. Mm-hmm. Not, not really. I mean, led with their head in the in the idea that you're running, you're yeah. sprinting as fast as you can. So when you do that and you make contact with another player, I guess just by physics, your head's gonna be kind of over out over your feet when you tackle somebody. But definitely didn't go helmet to helmet. Definitely didn't. It wasn't egregious, and and they called that one. And Richard Sherman got pretty upset, and he talked a little trash about the how how they're calling it. So hopefully everything tightens up. Hopefully by the NFL season we don't see this this affecting the outcome of games. Right. Yeah, that's the big thing for me. Is I just hate when flags and the refs can uh, dictate the outcome of the game. So that's. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it, but at the same time, I want to be able to protect these guys and, and see them all play as much as as much as I can, because it's kind of what the league is built around is these big big names. Yeah. Not to mention the amount of CTE lawsuits that are coming down the pipeline for the NFL. Yeah, anything they can do to mitigate the CTE, improve quality of life, also protect the big names, like you're saying. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a good thing. Um, they just gotta work out the kinks. So yeah, and it's preseason for the refs too. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of a weird thing to think about, but <clears throat> they've been uh, outside of the game for a while now as well. Yeah, that's something something you don't think about that the refs also got to shake out the rust and yeah, and they've get just everything. been sitting at their law offices for the last six months. They uh, <laughs> got to get back in action. Yeah, refing is not a bad gig, man. They get not paid pretty all. well. Yeah, travel well. Yeah. Work like five months out of the year. Get to watch NFL games up close and personal. Real up close. You might get a couple death threats here and there, but that's just 2018. Yeah, I mean, this isn't, you know, soccer. You don't really have to worry about those being carried out. True. Yeah, true. All right. So let's let's keep it in the world of sports. And just for the listeners out there, we'll we'll probably stay world of sports early because we're going to get down and dirty and dark a little bit later. So just a heads up. Cool. But something that I'm pretty excited about over the you know this past weekend, um, Tyson Fury stepped in the ring for the second time in a long time, and he fought Francesco Pianetta. And did you happen to see the fight, Tommy? Just before I get going? No, I didn't see the fight. All right. So, but I heard the guy who was fighting was a human punching bag. Yeah, he he was slightly more of a challenge than his last opponent. Um, his last opponent, Zephyr Safiri, he he's basically a a cruiserweight who they not only not only cruiserweight but a a can cruiserweight who they brought up to to fight Fury. And Fury was m- 
completely unimpressive in that fight. Did not look good at all. In this fight, Fury looked a lot better. He's moving a lot better. He looks a little bit crisper, um, putting his punches together better. And it just looked like he carried him for 10 rounds. And, and Ben Davidson, who is Fury's main trainer, actually came out and said that Fury asked him in the 10th round if he could put him away. So basically, Fury just out there getting work in, getting rounds in to prepare him for what's coming down the pipe. And after the fight, it was announced that it would be Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, we're looking at November in Las Vegas. I think the 17th is the date that they laid it out for that. So we're going to get Fury versus Wilder. It's very exciting. Two of the top heavyweights in the division. Both guys undefeated. And um, that, that's a very interesting fight. Yeah, I'm glad they were able to put that together. How long have they been working on that one for? Because wasn't Deontay Wilder, is he was he supposed to fight Anthony Joshua? Is that the fight that they couldn't get together? Yeah, that's initially what was slated. I don't know. So boxing, you know, it's the Floyd Mayweather model. Yes. And, and so you postpone the fights for as long as possible. You hype them up. Mm-hmm. You get them talking about it. You get people thinking, what if, what if, what if these two people actually fought and got in the ring and all that stuff. And another, a, a lot of other fights take place in the meantime while constantly this kind of tease this kind of tension is building in the background and finally you know once somebody's completely past their prime you get the you get the fight that you actually wanted so in the meantime this is this is probably the second best fight you can make in the heavyweight division okay depending on how you look at it okay you get uh Deontay Wilder who's i mean not that not a traditional boxer somebody who you wouldn't call classically trained. He did, you know, participate in the Olympics, which usually has the effect of making people very technical, very mm-hmm. orthodox. The exact opposite with Wilder. Wilder's just got this crazy power in his right hand. He windmills his punches in there. He's a lot of times off balance. A lot of times his punches are coming from weird angles. Um, but he's he's knocked out everybody he's been in the ring with. He's undefeated. He's got a lot of criticism throughout his career of not facing um, top-tier opposition, but I think he's meeting that criticism as we get later in his career. He fought Luis Ortiz, who is one of the top heavyweights in the division. For me, I would say probably I'd put him top five, maybe top three or four, depending on how you look at it. Um, it's a very interesting fight. We'll see if... It, it all kind of depends on what fury we get that steps in the ring. Okay. I have a couple rapid-fire questions for you here. Yeah, go ahead. How long was Tyson Fury's sabbatical, his little uh, time away from boxing? It was a number of years because... Was um, it like two years? He, yeah, because he was on the sidelines since his victory over was um, he just Klitschko. Was he just kind of basking in his glory, or what was the strategy there? So, so Tyson Fury was undefeated. Um, the match got made between him and Vladimir Klitschko, who was the super long reigning world champ and I, one of the most underrated uh, heavyweight champions, I think, in the history of the sport. So, in July 2015, it got confirmed that they would fight 
they they fought in Germany, which you know a lot of times uh, people had complained that you know Russian fighters uh, didn't really lose in Germany, but he, the the fight went in Germany. Um, kind of a weird fight where Fury just moved a lot kind of confused Klitschko. Klitschko couldn't get the shots off that he wanted to get off, and Fury ended up winning the fight. Um, there was talk of a rematch, but it, it never ended up happening, never really materialized. And um, after that, Tyson Fury kind of fell apart. He had issues with mental health that have, mm. that have come out now. He had issues with a um, powdery white substance that is yep. taken through the nose. Heard about that. Um, the impressive thing is, even though he was having issues with that powdery white substance, he gained damn damn near 200 pounds. Yeah, he was Dude on that blew the fuck He was up. on that Mike Tyson diet. <laughs> yeah, something. He got huge, man. And I, I was honestly worrying that we would never see Tyson Fury in the ring again because of the mental health issues. Mm-hmm. But he's been able to get it together. Um, he's been able to get re-motivated he's with a new trainer ben davidson who i think is great for him mentally and kind of got him back in the mental space he needed to be in another person who is uh huge in that was his tyson fury's good friend billy joe saunders who's the world middleweight champion um and he got it together got back in the ring so i guess he came back in 2018 so it was almost it was almost three years yeah. That he was out of the ring, which that's a you know long time away. A long time in the way, right in the prime of his career. I mean, the Fury's only what thirty now. Yeah, he did like a uh, Michael Jordan go to play baseball, but he went to go do other things. Yeah, just went to play cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> well, that happens. Cocaine, uh, cocaine and food. Apparently. Yeah, um, don't always go together, I guess, but sometimes they do. Yeah. Uh, another uh, follow up, big time question here: What? How much is Ricky Hatton going to weigh the day of the fight? <laughs> so maybe that's the diet that Fury yeah, went on. The that's Ricky I'm Hatton connecting diet. some dots here, and I think that might be where this uh, this weight gain came from. It's just and through osmosis from being around Ricky Hatton. Another person who allegedly likes his white powders. I, um, I, Ricky basically. Hatton and Tyson Fury might be the same person. <laughs> so, yeah, th- that's... That's the smoking gun. Keep Tyson Fury away from Ricky Hatton. Will Ricky Hatton weigh more than Tyson Fury come fight day? Fight night. Um, It's very possible. Fury's slimming down. Man. Hatton's bulking up. We'll see. God, uh, those were so great. Just looking at Ricky Hatton. Vegas, put some odds on that, please. Please. God, those were so much fun looking at Hatton in between fights. Just the amount. He looked like he was wearing a sumo suit. Yeah, insane. Insane. Um. The good news is Fury lost 18 pounds between his last fight and this fight. He's getting in better shape. He's looking better. He, his endurance looks a little bit better as well. So it'll be interesting. And I just feel like the press conferences between Fury and Wilder are going to mm-hmm. be great. Because yeah. both those guys can talk. They kind of both have the the gift of gab, the gift of uh, uh, trash talking a little bit. Billy <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders got in a altercation with um, Deontay Wilder. They ran into each other at a restaurant, I believe, called Nando's. And Billy Joe Saunders threw chicken at Tyson Fury and, oh, then, is that and then ran out of the building. <laughs> huh. 
And I don't think that was a racially motivated thing. That Wait, was threw just it at Tyson Fury or, or I'm sorry, Wilder? at a, at Wilder. <laughs> I don't want to say that's racist, but that could be protrude as a racist move. It could be, but I think that's just what he was eating at the time. And um, who throws away delicious protein like that? Hey, man, he, he I think he sized up the situation. Yeah, realized that um, with Wilder, he'd have to employ a a long distance attack. And used what was at his disposal. Yeah. Guerrilla warfare. <laughs> exactly. And he, he hit him, and then he immediately turned and ran. Yeah. As fast oh, as no, he could. no question. <laughs> Bob and weave, and then run. So it's going to be good. The buildup's going to be good. And um, this is just setting up the winner to fight Anthony Joshua in what will be a super fight. Um, later down the road and we might actually get a an answer to the question a long time for a long time in boxing the heavyweight champ was yeah. the baddest man on the planet yep. and we we might get that answer in heavyweight boxing again for the first time in a long time yeah will they make any uh whoever wins this fight go to the o2 to fight in london or will anthony joshua ever leave and fight somewhere else there is stipulation that uh, I think if it's Fury, it has to happen in the UK. Yeah, that's I, true, I think I if guess. the fight wins, it has to be in the UK. Um, it has to be. But if it's Wilder, know, the, if it's Wilder, New York, I'm on the Vegas. fence because Vegas always has that money. You know, yeah. the casinos are gonna put up millions upon millions of dollars to have mm-hmm. the fight there. And I just don't see how you can beat that being yeah. in Vegas. It's the mecca of boxing. I don't care what anybody says. Las Vegas is of where fighting, all the big fights say. happen. Yeah, look at Floyd's fights. Yep. All of Floyd's fights are the well, the big ones later yeah. in his career mm-hmm. have been in Vegas. You know, they oh, didn't do it sense. in Manila. They didn't oh. do it in you know Macau. Belfast. They didn't do it in Dublin. Yep. You know, so it'll cool. be interesting to see. I want to. Uh, There's another boxing uh, match that you're pretty excited about. Yeah, exactly. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. And we are, what, three-ish weeks. September 15th? Yep, September 15th. We get um, Clonello Alvarez (laughs) versus Triple G. Oh, man, I can't let it go. Part two, Electric Boogaloo. Do you think he was actually on steroids? Intentionally. And this is a topic that I want to get into okay. at time. Yeah, I think I think everybody's on steroids, Tommy. Like, are you like a Nate Diaz saying that, or is this Mike Collins saying that? It's Mike Collins saying that, okay. and I think I think uh, we'll get into it more in depth later. But yes, I think Can- Canelo. I'm sorry, I almost said Clanello again. It's just in my vernacular yeah, now because you say it so much. But um, I definitely think he's on steroids. I just okay. do. Okay. I I think at the highest level of the sport, the percentage of people that um, are on steroids is alarming. I, in the words of Joe Rogan talking to Brendan Schaub, I think you'd be surprised. So do you think he got on steroids just for this fight, or he's been on it throughout his career when he started when he was like 15? Been on it throughout his career. Okay. I don't know if he started when he was 15, but he, I'm sure as he got closer to the top levels of the sport. Um, he started implementing yeah. it. And people are going to say, oh, you're just a hater. You just, you know, you're Triple G, nut hugger, all this stuff. Dude, I think Triple G is probably on steroids, too. I think I think to compete at the highest levels of the sport 
in a sport where all that's separating you from your opponent is percentages mm-hmm. that it's it's just free market capitalism baby you know it's just in order to compete in the marketplace you, you have to take yeah you have to take performance enhancing drugs mm-hmm. in the testing and boxing especially you know even now it's not that stringent um people are still getting away with stuff they they did catch canelo mm-hmm. but look what happened i mean all that happened is the it benefited the him in the long postponed. run yeah and that's to his benefit since triple g's not getting any younger exactly you know it just allowed this fight to age a little bit mm-hmm. there there weren't really any negative repercussions for canelo we on have on this fight getting postponed yeah we have a very as a society the way we look at steroids is very interesting to me because we allow athletes to pretty much just destroy their bodies in order to win and be successful until it comes to steroids and then we draw a hard line saying we don't want you taking steroids it's always been interesting to me like a football player can go out there and play on sunday and basically be in a traumatic car wreck essentially and then on thursday night suit up again and play again and like we don't have a problem with that but as soon as they try to juice up their body a little bit and put it in a better position to succeed we draw the line and i don't really understand that we view it as cheating i guess and people get super mad at that yeah but like we we're always as athletes and and fans we're always like rooting for our teams and our athletes to like gain whatever edge they can whether that be like ice baths or massages or whatever like the new trend is but for steroids no that's where we draw the line And that line is very strange, like you're saying, because creatine has been shown to improve performance. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But you can't you can't prove it too much. Once you get like, you know, testosterone, Dianabol, Anavar, all that stuff, like, you know, once you cross that line, it's it's just strange where we've decided to draw that line. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, we can do some things that help performance, but not other things. Right. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so I'm very very excited for the fight. I'm very surprised at the fact that there doesn't seem to be a lot of hype behind it. No. I mean, do you do you get the same feeling that you I got do. when they were first fighting? I don't feel it's it's as hyped up as the first time. Uh, but I don't know why. It, the discrepancy is because it's still yeah. a big weekend S- september 15th that's a big fight weekend i believe yeah it's uh mexican independence day is the big holiday yeah. there and you canelo know. with his mexican roots those those are the two the two dates that canelo alvarez fights on are mm-hmm. cinco de mayo weekend and, and um, mexican independence day weekend yeah um but it, yeah. and it's it's not like the last fight wasn't entertaining. It's not like it wasn't hotly contested. It's not like there and wasn't controversy surrounding the result. So I don't get yeah. why there's not as much hype. I'm not hearing as much promotion. It just seems and muted. And it's also kind of a dead period for sports right now. Like baseball still got a month left before playoffs. NFL hasn't ramped up yet. Uh, baseball and hockey are, or uh, basketball and hockey are, are not playing right now. There's no other like huge fights that weekend. So you're right. I'm not sure why uh, it's not as hyped up. I just pulled up like the main article for it on ESPN, and they did Canelo really dirty because there's just a picture of Triple G connecting on his chin, and it does not look good. 
Yeah, and I think. I think that's because once you get somebody who has um, tested positive, they they immediately become the villain, <laughs> and that's it's fair. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's it, it's definitely at least for me, Triple G is much more likable than Canelo personality wise. Canelo's kind of uh, brash and kind of like rubs people the wrong way. Where Triple G, he's kind of like goofy. He's you know. a, he's a goofy guy for somebody who has can inflict so much violence on somebody. A goofy savage killer with from, power from in both Kazakhstan. hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he does have a goofy personality, just like running around in Big Bear, but can absolutely just murder people with his hands. And um, I'm super hyped for the fight. I think, I think in this fight, it it favors Canelo. I think just. The fact that Triple G is aging, he's 36 going on 37. Um, Canelo's in the prime, you know, he's 28 years old in the prime of his career. I think, I, I just think that it was such a close fight before that any additional performance. Um, Did you performance, think it was that close? I do think it was close. I think Triple G won, but I do think it was very close. Um, I wouldn't be mad if somebody scored his draw. I wouldn't be mad if um, somebody even scored at one point for Canelo. It's a very, very close fight. You know, there's there's some subjectivity in the fact that you have to judge who you think is landing the harder punches, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. I think it was a very close fight. I think, I think though, you... I. I think you could score it for Triple G more than you could score it for Canelo. And based on that, I think it should have been given to Triple G rather than um, scored his draw. So we'll see. I I think Triple G is going to employ a lot of the same game plan. He was the aggressor last fight. He was coming forward. He was chasing Canelo. Mm -hmm. Um, But the strange thing last fight was he only landed eight body shots in the totality of the fight. Oh, you're a Which big body shot guy. Well, and it's not typical Triple G. I mean, we've seen Triple G destroy guys to the body, and he likes to vary it between the body and the head. And I don't know if that was a if that was a, a result of him trying to go to the body, and every time he did, um, he felt like he was in danger or he was getting hit with good shots by Canelo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a strategy thing. I don't know what it was, but um, I, I feel that that's something that needs to change in this upcoming fight and hopefully we'll see Triple G go the body more and get the get the either very clear decision because if it's even close um you know Oscar De La Hoya is going <laughs> to place a couple dollar bills in the pockets of the judges um, speaking of white powdery substances yeah exactly the the good thing is Adelaide Bird is off the card. <laughs> um, oh, she's not, there we go. She's not going to be one of the judges, so we can save her for the McGregor fight or something else prominent that yeah. she can mess up. Exactly. Anytime we need a a decision that uh, is questionable. <laughs> Anytime we want to surprise the fans, bring out Adelaide Bird. <laughs> exactly. But I'm super excited on the undercard. Um, they've released it now. It's going to be Jaime Mungia. Uh, a lot of people are very excited about he just fought Liam Smith um, mm. another a former Canelo opponent and he won that fight but the kid's super young um, 
they're trying to promote him because he is a true uh, stereotypical Mexican fighter who just goes out there, um, is in your face, applies pressure, and has big power in his hands and is very tough, very durable, strong chin. And that's what he did with uh, Liam Smith. He just warmed down with his power and his indifference to any shots that were coming his way from Liam Smith. Smith was definitely the more technical fighter, but he just wilted um, under the power of Munguia. And he's fighting Brandon Cook. That's just a fight that's set up for him to knock him out and kind of put him on the big stage and get his name out there. Below that, we have David Lemieux, your boy. Yeah, fight. has uh, do you think he's going to cut his hair so he can actually see his opponent in front of him, or he's just going to have that weird flock of seagulls haircut where he can't see anything? Uh, flock of seagulls. Right I can't see anything. Uh, I'll and take the other guy he might then. come in. <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to do that. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> Gary O'Sullivan fight. but um, Gary Spike O'Sullivan. You can't hit what guy. you can't see. Yeah. I just think Lemieux is going to be a little bit too much for him. And I actually see. I just can't ever get over that image of him when he was fighting Triple G. And Homeboy's hair was literally in his face. It was unbelievable. I loved every second of it. Yeah, that happens a lot with fighters. And I don't understand why they don't. Yeah, it's not a surprise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, shit, I can't see. Oh, your hair just grew out. Oh, that's interesting. The person who always bothered me the most was Clay Guida in UFC. He has this long, curly hair, and it would just constantly get in his face. But I think that's just an excuse for him to throw, you know, wide looping yeah, bombs. Yeah, it's true. It's like, hey, I couldn't see. Uh, so is that somebody else's fault, or what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. And then the last fight on the televised card, or the paper. See, that's card insight you just can't get anywhere else. It's people true. people overanalyze the fight and like talking about like footwork and technique and like strategies. No, I'm just looking at if if you can't see, you can't see. Exactly. I mean, let's, let's just call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Dude, did you know that a spade used to be a... Is that a bad term? Uh, it's probably... Yes, yeah, r- derogatory term for African-Americans. Oh I didn't know boy. that. Thanks. So I've been using that phrase, call a spade a spade, and then um, I find found out about the true meaning thanks to Rage Against the Machine. Oh. Um, because they had a line in the song. Uh, I forget what the song is, but the line is... Um, and they'll use a pair of clubs to beat a spade. Whoa. And I was like, wait, like, what? Like the, uh, the card analogy? Yeah, it's a card analogy, but, uh, you know, using yeah, the yeah, yeah. Um, derogatory uh, term spade. Well, that's disappointing to hear. I use that term all the time. <laughs> yeah, I might have to find a new one. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's still. Uh, I haven't been chastised yet for using it. Yeah, I think not a lot of people know it because mm. uh, spade wasn't the go-to term. It's kind of a, uh, yeah. you know, a <laughs> centric derogatory term, one that they pull out of the back pocket. <laughs> okay. Well, good to know. And that that's insight that you don't get everywhere. No, you sure don't. Never heard that before. But uh, bringing up the rear on this card is Chocolatito. Oh, your boy. fighting on the tail end of his career against Moises Fuentes and... Nicaragua. That's a sad story. You know, once the fighter's gone past their prime, starts losing, and they're just trying to get a last couple paydays on there, it just, just kind of hurts my heart a little bit. Yeah. Chocolatito's the guy that, when you watch him fight, it looks like he's fighting with, like, in fast forward, right? Yeah, super fast. Like, um, you think, like, his hands are sped up, but that's just how fast they actually are. Yeah. 
And that's what people don't understand about these little guys. They're blindingly fast. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. Yeah. But that's about it for boxing. I just wanted to go over those two things um, because it might be a while till we reconvene on the podcast just because of uh, life commitments. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But staying on boxing kind of and getting back to the topic of steroids. I was on ESPN Plus. Shout out. Sponsor us. Um, Is that the yeah. $1 a month subscription thing? It's like four ninety nine okay. or three ninety nine. dollars Is that something. worth it? I think it is. If you're a huge boxing fan, yeah. it's definitely worth it. You can get a lot of other uh, sports events on there. They actually had basically a library of every, um, every single college football game that they played on ESPN last year Ooh, is in their library. Yeah, so you can rewatch it. I will say that I was on public Wi-Fi at a restaurant here in Tacoma, and I was able to stream in HD the Terrence Crawford uh, fight, and so uh, J- Terrence Crawford Jeff Horn, and the streaming quality was immaculate Ooh. on my f- on my phone on public Wi-Fi. That sounds so like you deserve a sponsor. I think so. Shout out! Yeah, give us sponsor us Bob Arum. ESPN Plus, I'll, I'll show the shit out of that streaming service because sure. that's the most important thing to me is Chilling. can I get a quality stream in a place where I normally wouldn't so have access have to, to my l- computer. Right, you know what I'm so saying? you don't have to pay attention to the people that you're around. Yes. That's what mm-hmm. life's all about. Yes. It's pretending like you're somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't be in the moment. No. Um, distract from what's really going on right and yes that's the key to happiness that's what i've heard shout out espn plus but so i'm watching the i mean just darn down downright classic of a fight um Hagler versus hearns Uh, marvelous marvin Hagler, the hitman tommy hearns and i'm looking at both these guys neither of these guys uh was professed in their training regimen to using, uh, I guess, weightlifting at all, really. Mm -hmm. It's mostly calisthenics and stuff. I'm looking at their bodies, and they are ripped up. They're cut up, very, very lean, and they've got some size on them and some cap delts. And I'm thinking to myself, for guys that aren't touching weights, Mm -hmm. this is a little ridiculous. I'm looking at pa- uh, pictures right now. Yeah, they look shredded and large. Yeah, for people who are not weightlifting at all. I mean, I yeah, and they just didn't know about all this stuff too back then. There wasn't as much science. Yeah, and I've I've got friends, you know, who that's what they do. They weightlift and they get on steroids. They get on performance <laughs> enhancing drugs, and some of them can't even look like that. Can't even yeah, look I mean, like genetics Hearns is a Hagler. huge part too. It's definitely a huge part, but there's a line. There's a clear defined line of size and leanness mm-hmm. that that people are having a hard time doing lifting weights. Mm-hmm. You know, not just performing calisthenics and sparring. So that got me a little curious and sent me down a rabbit hole. And I did some, some research on the history of steroids and when those really got introduced and when they got introduced in the United States. And I found some interesting information. If you were to guess, Tommy, when did the United States, um, athletes in the United States really start using steroids? 
Uh, the seventies. Nineteen sixty. Hmm. So there's a. But like, even the quality of the steroid, what was it? Just like some horse tranquilizer thing? No. So Diana Ball, the same stuff that a lot of people are using today, D Ball. Um, it was used back then, and there was a a gentleman, um, John Bosley Ziegler who was a physician who served in World War II. Shout out. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your uh, service. He was in the Marine Corps. He was serving in the Pacific Theater in World War II. Mm-hmm. Had extensive bullet wounds, got Purple Heart, all that stuff. So let's just thank him for that. And Badass. Let's also, let's also thank him for being a true patriot. And he started steroids. Yes. Started working with the United States um, men's Olympic weightlifting team. Mm-hmm. The Russians were kicking our ass. He was in a bar in Lithuania, and he just so happened to run into a Russian there. They start throwing back a couple drinks, getting a little loosey-goosey, mm-hmm. and the Russian leans over, and he's like, so, you know, what are you giving your guys? Oh. And Ziegler's like, uh, um, excuse milk me? Milk and peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, eggs and ground beef? I mean, uh, what, what are we talking about here? Honey and bread. So he quickly comes to realize that the Russian weightlifting team is winning because they're doping up. They're taking Mm -hmm. a lot of PEDs. And so being the true patriot that he is, he's like, well, I need to start getting our boys doping. Like, this is what we do. You know, we got to find that edge. Yep. Yep. And so he, in 1960, he gave um, steroids to every single member of the U.S. Men's Olympic weightlifting team. The original. Still lost to the Russians because they had gotten the cocktail down and been training with it for a while. The but original Icarus. Yeah, exactly. And so we'll get, get to that in a sec. Mm-hmm. But, um, so he starts doping him up, and he actually ends up regretting it because um, one of the guys was taking 20 times the recommended dose Ooh. of Diana Ball. <laughs> That'll do something to your heart. But it just got me thinking, from that time period between 1960 until really the late 90s, early 2000s, it was the Wild West, man. Drug testing wasn't really... Yeah, how would they... Yeah, it wasn't that rigorous. It wasn't that complex. And so these substances were out there. People knew about them. People were using them. People were developing new ones to make them more effective that the the drug testers if they even had real stringent drug testing, didn't even know about. I mean, this time was the Wild West, so I'm going to make a shocking claim here. All your heroes from that time period, from basically the 70s to the 90s, were on roids. Who are my heroes from the 1970s? Um, Let's see here. Is Dan Marino on steroids? Dan Marino was juiced to the tits. You think so? No, so skill positions like that, I <laughs> tend to think that it's because also you have to take into account in things like basketball and things like um, being a quarterback. It can throw you off, you know. It's, it's like a finely tuned machine where mm-hmm. if you add, you know, twenty pounds of strength, your um, your pass that was hitting your your wide receiver in between the numbers is now going way over his head. So. 
things like that, I think it has to be titrated a little bit. They might have used it for recovery. They might have mm-hmm. used it for coming back from injuries. I, I believe that. How about my boy Steve Prefontaine? Prefontaine? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably using some performance-enhancing drugs. For a 10K? If yeah. he's competing at a world level, uh, probably using some performance-enhancing drugs. The Olympics? The Olympics, yes, absolutely, 100%. If you look at the Olympic weightlifting records for back in the day, they've restructured the weight classes, so it's not exactly equivalent. But there are some records from back in the day when people were juicing to the tits that um, that still haven't been broken to this day. Um, was Richard Nixon on steroids? <laughs> no, but LBJ was. That's why he, he had was such a big a, boy. I think he that was just a lot of ribeyes down in Texas. He was injecting roids straight into his hog. Probably he liked to pull out and lay on the table. Some cow lymph node steroids. Exactly. But, you know, look at uh, look at the Olympics. Look at, uh, who was it? That boy from uh, Canada, Ben Johnson. The sprinter, roided to the gills. Um, Carl Lewis actually tested positive in that same game, the same <coughs> games. Oh, but yeah. it, it was after the facts, so it didn't get as much so notoriety. Was the, was the Allison Felix one of those two? I shouldn't just throw out names like that. Yeah, yeah, oh no. <laughs> but but uh, Holyfield got hit with it later in the 90s. I think Tyson was on steroids. Tyson, um, someone who had professed to never do weightlifting, all calisthenics. Are you telling me that dude jacked to the tits at like 5'11 or whatever he was in the heavyweight division? Wasn't using juice? But anyway. Was Nolan Ryan on steroids? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm semi being tongue in cheek here, but no, I just I, think I get what you're saying for sure. I think the extent of steroid use in sports is way greater than we know, and I think people are just naive to the fact. Like, and to get back to Icarus Rogan, he's like, "Can you believe what the Russians were doing?" Uh, yeah, I fucking can actually. <laughs> <laughs> I sure can actually. And he says it in a way that, like, he doesn't think there's a, an exact you know identical program on the u.s side of the fence like do you think we're we're not doing the exact same thing rogan do you think we're not you know juicing up our athletes so we can compete you're insane if you don't was billy jean king on steroids all of them all the steroids (laughs) (laughs) how did she beat that man in the tennis match um was that her no uh is that chris everett Maybe. I don't know. It's one of them. Yeah. One of those two. So. But anyway, let's get off that subject because I've, I've harped on it long enough. But everybody's on roids. All your heroes are lies and cheaters. Well, so. and then there's the question like, well, do I really care though? Because they still did everything that, like. No, and that's the thing <laughs> that people don't understand. <laughs> there's still a reason why they were my f- heroes in the first place. Steroids or not, these people and would beat your ass in whatever it is that they're competing right. in. Right. And all of the people they're competing against is on steroids so it's kind of just wa- it's a wash yeah i i don't i think barry bonds should have been a first ballot hall of famer um, i do I too think. but that's baseball cooperstown hall of fame is so weird and so backwards and so out of touch that i don't know if he'll ever get in even though obviously talent wise and numbers wise he should be in yeah the strange morality it's, of a sport that's so marred by the use of peds is mind-boggling to baseball the writers, the Hall of Fame committee is so weird and so out of touch. Yeah. They're stuck in the Stone Age. 
it's just like they're shutting their closing their eyes and, and throwing their hands over their ears it's like the whole like 15 like 1990s through like the 2000s that's just that's the steroid era like how are you are you just gonna say that for 20 years we're not gonna put anybody in the hall of fame who played in those 20 years yeah it doesn't make sense <coughs> doesn't make sense yeah and you're gonna put um you know dudes who are playing in the you league in the hall of fame in there, who weren't who weren't playing when black or who yeah, weren't exactly. playing with black people couldn't you're gonna put Ty Cobb in there who didn't play when any African Americans were playing and he was a notorious racist. So exactly. where are we drawing the line here? Well, racism's okay, Tommy. <laughs> For Cooperstown. Is another thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Right, anyway. All right. Anything else in sports football? you want to cover? Do you play fantasy football? Nope, don't have the time. Well, Definitely not dedicating myself to fantasy football. It's basically, mean. it's World of Warcraft for jobs. Oh, oh interesting. Mm. Okay. Uh, just curious. I figured I would get an answer some somewhere like that. So yeah. I'm glad you could confirm. I mean, I mean, it's basically World of Warcraft for jocks. <laughs> I mean, is it? that's all it is. It's really not that time consuming. Other than the draft, There's you have to set your roster once a week and you kind of just go from there. Yeah, that's if you're half-assing it. If you I mean, really that's get what I do, it, and I won last year. checking no up on deal. advanced statistics. <laughs> okay. A little humble brag. Yeah, Tommy no big deal. I drafted Antonio Brown, Todd Gurley, and Aaron Rodgers in a 10-team league. Whatever, no big deal. <laughs> I don't know what that says so about the people I was playing with. So basically, you just asked me that question so you could so you can make that statement. I've right been there. setting that up since this podcast started. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Very good. Okay. Congrats. Did you get a trophy? Uh, I won some cash, but not officially because yeah. I don't know the legality of that. But yeah, I won some cash. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. You know, we weren't allowed to play like fantasy football or gamble in college. We had an FBI special detective come and give us a speech during like our camp in August saying how illegal it was to do that. Yeah, the number of um, like restrictions what? and regulations that NCAA athletes are put under is insane. I still laugh about that. They hired an FBI, like, active, his name, not his name, but his title was, like, special detective for the FBI, came and talked to us about the dangers of fantasy football and gambling. Jeez. Now, I don't know how he got his point across to the majority of people. It certainly didn't work for me, but I just thought that was weird. Yeah. I mean, you you as an NCAA athlete, you have to be careful of like going to a garage sale, right? Buying something from a fan because that can be seen as like benefiting you. Yeah, if someone gives me like a chocolate bar on the side of the street, which I shouldn't take in the first place, but that would be considered illegal improper benefits. Yeah, you have to be careful about banging groupies. Sure. Yeah, I had a big problem with that. Yeah, you have to be careful because it can be seen as using your position as an NCAA player to gain some benefit. Abuse of power, absolutely. Got to watch out for that. Got to be careful. (laughs) I was able to dodge, what was it, chlamydia is my Vietnam. Shout out President Trump. Ah, yeah. Speaking of President Trump. How's he um, doing these days? You know. (laughs) It's been a a tumultuous uh, 72 hours for our boy. Super tumultuous, but before we get into the legality issues, let's talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is parades. Yeah. Ooh, military parades. Yeah. So President Trump, um, 
in celebration of the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, the end of uh, 1918, yep, World War One, the end of World War One. He wanted to put on a huge parade. Tommy, your thoughts on this issue? <sighs> Military parades. Some who said it. Some uh, some former war correspondent was saying, "If the United States have a military parade, that's basically just third world third world bullshit." Which I don't a hundred percent agree with that term. But the United States of America does not do military parades. We kind of just win wars, and that's like what we do. So I don't fully understand Donald Trump's um, fascination. I understand that he like watched the Bastille Day parade in, in Paris and kind of got turned on by that. But I'm not sure if he fully understands like the logistics that go into a military parade, the security that would go into that, and just kind of the infrastructure of Washington, D.C., if they had... Uh, Abrams tanks going down like Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't fully believe that the roads would be able to manufacture hold up when they had an M1A1 Abrams tank just mobbing down there. Um, I think it's just another flex, a little military flex, a little power flex by our boy. Um, it's like if you're good at something, you don't have to tell people about it. And so that's why North Korea has to have their military parades like monthly because when they shoot a rocket, it goes straight down. Um, so not on board with a military parade. I hope it doesn't go through. I don't think it will go through. I know our military's capability. We've um, exemplified that for the last 250 years. And I think the world is very aware of our military capabilities. Um, we've dropped two atom bombs. Who No one's ever done that on... On an enemy, um, and that's a whole different subject. But um, I think we are, we should be confident and comfortable enough in our military might that we don't have to show it to the world. And it's kind of embarrassing if we think we need to. In in the DoD, basically, when when Trump, uh, you know, suggested all this and got everything going, um, the DoD basically. Daddy Trump and, and put little boy Trump in his place. They said, "I, uh, I'm sure no, about it." Do you, do you remember when you were a kid and you asked for something for Christmas that was just like they pat you on the top of the head and be like, "Maybe yeah, next year, little Timmy." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure Mad Dog Mattis had a nice chuckle when he heard about the military parade. Yeah, so they just patted him on the head and were like, "Maybe next year, yeah. Tommy." <laughs> and then, and then Trump goes, "Oh, it's going to cost too much, so it's canceled." No, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not a money right. thing. Well, it's also a money thing, but also it's just don't do it. Don't do. Yeah. Want to? Don't do. I mean, we um, we have like like flyovers and like which isn't a parade, but like we certainly are proud of our military and like you see it as a civilian if you go to like a big sporting event you get a flyover by one of those stealth bombers yeah or an air show a local yeah, air show a navy mil- seal will like parachute into a chargers game the blue angels not, we have seafair yeah up in here in absolutely Seattle, yeah i just watched angels. that those f-18s flying over uh i'm not entirely sure where his fascination with that comes from well i think trump sees himself as a tough guy you know, he sees himself as this big badass who's, like, the most powerful man in the world and that sort of thing. But 
deep down he knows he's not. He knows he's not tough. He's very insecure. And so he needs these these outward displays of his masculinity. This is basically just Trump showing that he has the big dick of the United States military and he's showing his dick to the world. You know? It's a parade. When I think of like masculinity or like being a tough guy, parade's not the first thing that comes to my mind. That's because you are <laughs> like the rose, like the Rose Bowl parade. I mean, it's cool and it's beautiful flowers and floats, and they got like local high school marching bands. It's a nice little tradition, but that's not what I think about when I think about like hardcore. Uh, let's go win a war and show the the world how tough we are. But all those other things that would actually show people that <laughs> they require somebody doing them that's not Trump. Like, this is something that he can directly, like, does he participate want some, like, in and benefit from. Does he want, like, the Army Rangers to, like, march down Pennsylvania Avenue at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning with night vision goggles on? Because that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> what he wants <laughs> is to have them all march past and, and salute so him. He probably yeah, just wants them all to the salute commander him. In chief. He's right. the highest ranking um, military official in the United States. So everybody has to salute him. Yeah, so, so he wants uh, exactly. an admiral to salute him and all that stuff. Yeah, he's sick and tired of getting cucked by Melania and having her take um, LeBron you know, size. LeBron yeah, exactly. So he's just. When was the last time? I'm trying to think of one. I think. Shot in the dark here, but the last time we had a military parade would be when we liberated Paris in like 1944. No, I actually looked this up, and apparently we had one after Desert Storm. And what did that look like? I don't know what it looked like, but did we have tanks mobbing around, or did we have veterans coming back and marching past I, and saluting? I think it was more veterans coming, uh, coming back and marching past and stuff like that. More instead of a celebration of our military. You know, leader, might, yeah, yeah. It was more of the work that they had done in Iraq. So, I'm all for. I'm still not a fan. Still not a fan. Not a fan. I mean, I'm all for uh, recognizing uh, the sacrifices made by our men and women, but that to me is not the way to do it. That just seems more like uh, a Trump ego flex. One hundred percent agree. And the estimates for this parade were they clocked in at ninety-two million dollars. That's yeah. That's ridiculous. Also, I think if I was an active military member, I feel like that would be the worst thing. You know how much like time and preparation and just standing at attention and like that that seems like the worst waste of time for them. That that takes away from their normal training, their logistics, their time off. That seems like the last thing that they would want to do. So that's what I was going to say. Um Yeah, let's look at it I from their perspective actually, instead of yeah. my own dumb perspective. I was in the Air Force for a couple of years and any time that you had to do any ceremonies, um, oh. change of command, retirement ceremony, yeah. any sort of a parade or anything, it was a strain on you. Because Absolutely. you had to take extra time. Mm -hmm. You had to go. You had to train. You had to um, you know, practice marching. Yep. You had to practice all the, the ceremonial you stuff. shine all your the shit. Flag. Yeah, you have to get your uniform perfect and ready to go. You have to make sure your shoes are sh shined. There's no... Um, strings on your uniform that e no pieces of lint all mm -hmm. that stuff it, but then on top of that you, s you still had to pick up the slack when you came back to work yeah work wasn't going anywhere no you still had you stuff know. you got to do you got your own training yeah so it, it's just nobody trust me like 
very few people probably want to do this military parade, mm-hmm. except for the extreme Trumpkins who are just like going to support <laughs> him no matter what. Just look at like old World War Two videos, and like if you want to look at people parading, just look at the, us liberating Paris. That should uh, that should get your patriotic rocks off. Yeah. And and the thing that upsets me is the these sorts of things are usually the people who are most gung ho for them, and the people who are are usually su- suggesting them are people who a either don't have to participate in them or b. Um, Patriots who who have never served a day in the military, mm-hmm. and that Trump, Trump fits that bill exactly. Dude got so many deferments from uh, Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah, he got. Um, yeah, bone spurs. He got college deferments at first, and then when he was out of college, he got the bone spurs, and he just dodged military service every opportunity he could get. There are people who have served with bone spurs. If you really want to serve, you. Are just going to in Vietnam, not even sure. mention. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if in we're at a peacetime, maybe not. But at the height of Vietnam, when we're recruiting eight or not recruiting, drafting seventeen, eighteen year olds, yeah, you're gonna be able to go and fight for your country if you want to. And even then, if you just, I mean, I don't have bone spurs, so I don't know how painful bone spurs are. But um, even if you had them. All you have to do when going through MAPS or whatever so medical evaluation you're going to have, yeah, don't say anything. Do you, how, how you doing? Fine. Nothing's wrong with me. And then those bone spurs will never be found. It's only the big stuff that they're looking for. They don't do yeah. an, an x-ray of your entire body. They don't check out every single joint and its function. Yeah. They, they don't do that. No. That would cost way too much money. And time. So super frustrating i i'm glad that the military shut it down it's just the the wants and desires of this this self-centered egotistical maniac who's our press from trump's military parade to the other awful things that are going on in his life we got a little bit of news in the last last couple days here what have you been a rough uh been a rough 72 hours for our boy. Um, so Michael Cohen was found guilty of paying off those two women right before the election. Yeah, so he pleaded guilty to eight different counts, some of which have to do with taxes and other have to do with uh, basically improper use of campaign funds. Yes. Um, not a good look. Also, what I think, not what I think, what, found interesting that kind of gets pushed under the rug is so that he that's just admitting right up front that he had two affairs oh the the trump did yeah. yeah yes i feel like that hasn't even been mentioned now yeah it's very interesting because um back when there was a president in office named bill clinton yeah that's what i was gonna bring up because mm-hmm. like a lot of the times we think that maybe what people do in their personal lives shouldn't affect their own life. But as a sitting president, um, you kind of are under the microscope a little bit more. <coughs> and we do judge you on everything you do. But the fact that this man has had two affairs on his wife, one of where uh, he might have been, she might have been pregnant at the time of one of them. And that just kind of gets pushed under the rug, which I found interesting. Yeah, it's 
it's very strange to me how flexible the morals of <laughs> some of the people are. How they just they just bend them to fit, you know, the situation at, at the at the time. Yeah. When Clinton was in office, everybody's like, "Oh, this is horrible. Bill Clinton's mm-hmm. cheating on his wife. All that stuff." But then there's like, and this now hard- it's it's not even discussed. No, there's like these hardos that are like, "Well, what do I care? He slept with two beautiful women. I don't care. That's awesome. He's our president. He's our leader." Well, it's not entirely uh, a good thing. Yeah, and a lot of people who vote for Trump profess themselves to be good Christians who are concerned with morals and values and, and especially Christian values. Yeah. And this pretty clearly spits in the face of all that and they can kindly ignore the instructions that they've received from somebody who they believe to be the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure adultery is a mortal sin and he's openly admitting to two counts of that that we know of pretty sure when moses came down from mount sinai the burning bush mount sinai what's the mount called Uh, anyway when he came down from from receiving instructions from the burning bush Mm -hmm. he had these nice tablets with some rules written out on them Mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure that's like number three on there or something yeah it's a big one i think there's like seven mortal sins something like that and adultery is a big one yeah yeah, the mortal sins is like a, a Catholic thing, but uh, the Ten Commandments is a, I mean, that's oh, a Christian yeah. thing, that's yeah. a Jewish thing, that's a Muslim thing. You know, the Ten Commandments are throughout, whatever. But um, yeah, very interesting, admitted to having affairs, admitted to paying these women to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Trump's in a little bit of trouble because in his statement, Cohen directly implicated him because he said that he performed these payments at at his direction. So mm-hmm. now, and people were complaining about Mueller and the investigation for quite a while, like, oh, it's a witch hunt. I've heard witch hunt so many times. Just <laughs> I was running on the treadmill yesterday in LA Fitness. Wow. And, you know, good for you. Fox News was on, and it was just witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. And do people know now, what that means? I don't think they do. <laughs> I think they just use it and repeat it. And <laughs> They've it. heard it so many times that oh, it must be applicable. Yeah, and so now Mueller has something to show for all the work he's been doing. I think mm-hmm. he purposely casts this very wide net just because there's so many fish out there. There's so many people implicated and involved in all the illegal shady stuff that that's been going on in Trump's administration that he had to cast a super wide net and that net is just getting a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter and yeah, a little and bit tighter. I think Cohen said that he's willing to flip on Trump and give him everything, all the information and say that he colluded with Russia. Something that I read I believe. And that would not be good for Mr. No. Trump. And the the thing that people found surprising about the statement is that he wasn't he took a plea deal plea deal which means that he agreed to a lesser sentencing. It's turnover uh, information. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't just to turn over information. Well, it wasn't to turn over information. It was just so that they wouldn't have to go to trial mm. and drag this whole thing out uh, and okay. in court. So he didn't. As far as people know, they he didn't take a deal to turn over 
information. So he is he's giving this information of his own free will, which lends to the credibility of the witness. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They can't go, oh, he's just saying this stuff because he got this deal. He didn't get the deal because he agreed to give information. He just got the deal um, in exchange for not going to trial, not having this all play out in court, not arguing that he's innocent. So they say it lends more credibility to the statements that he's making. Hmm. And so he he was found guilty on eight different counts, um, as was Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort did not take a plea deal. He went to court. Eight of the counts he was found guilty of. Ten of the counts, um, they declared a mistrial because the, it was a hung jury. The The jury was indecisive about whether or not he should be found guilty on those counts. So it doesn't mean that he um, didn't commit those crimes. It just simply means that the jury couldn't decide whether or not he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And so... Is Cohen going to prison? They did, they, I haven't seen anything that released the... Um, the details of his deal, mm-hmm. his plea deal. I, d- I have seen that Manafort is looking at between seven and nine years in prison based Jeez. upon the eight, the eight counts he was found guilty of. Damn, that's not a short sentencing. No, it's not. And uh, they can they can go back to the 10 counts that, he, that um, a mistrial was declared on, mm-hmm. and they can actually try him again for those crimes um, wow. if, if they so choose. So, very interesting, and we'll see, you know, pressure's getting applied to a lot of the people in the Trump campaign, a lot of people with knowledge. Yeah, I feel like that noose is tightening. They're turning the screws, that's for sure. And uh, What's what's our boy Giuliani doing these days? Is he just uh, senile in and around? I do not know how they let that man speak on television. <laughs> I mean, if if you're if you're someone who is on Trump's side and doesn't want that guy's a walking I, disaster for you. I mean, he just keeps putting his foot in his mouth over <laughs> He's a and gift over that keeps on giving over again. He's like just an don't SNL. Don't let him do interviews. Don't <laughs> let him do it. He's a Saturday night like Saturday Night Live character come to life, who's like actually in charge of important things. <laughs> Yeah, it, I used to, like, I didn't really know much Me about Me neither. Giuliani. I just knew he was the mayor during 9-11 and was able to rally the city and, like, unite him. But then all of a sudden he comes back out of nowhere with just this new senile uh, outlook on life. Yeah, you know what this is? This has taught me, Tommy? It's uh, taught me. Don't get old? That I I can run for political office. I and I can so. do I can do a great job, I think. Change your I last name to something really Italian, move to New York, and be it an attorney. Or just, yeah, something like that. I, I can just, it doesn't matter how competent you are. It doesn't matter what skills you have. You can get through it. I mean, you know, basically, the the city runs itself. That's, <laughs> no, it's a big thing about life. You think you grow up and, like, everybody knows what they're doing and everybody's competent and, like, is a professional. And then you grow up and nobody is. So don't put these people on a pedestal. Yeah. It's insane to me. (laughs) Insane. Man, Giuliani's something else. He definitely is. I forget what he was talking about. It's like... But he does too. Oh, he... he, In an interview, he said that Trump knew about all this stuff. 
He's like, well, no, he didn't know. He changes like, his but story. But you just said that. You just said <laughs> just now that he knew about it and he had knowledge of it. And he's like, no, no, I didn't. Well, well yeah, he knew about it. No, I, he changed his story weekly. Yeah, I kind of yeah. want him to start talking in the third person. I think that would be a good look for him. To start referring to what himself if, in a previous conversation. What if Giuliani's just a double agent? He's really deep undercover and he's trying to fuck Trump over and he's just playing this role and making it seem like he has no idea what he's doing. I'm cool with that. I mean, I'm just fascinated by every move that Giuliani's making right now. So if that would if that's what he wants to do, I'm cool with that. The whole the whole situation, it's just it's stranger than fiction, man. It you couldn't script anything. No. This ridiculous. Like, talking about like if you sat down in a, a script <laughs> reading, I couldn't come up with anything this creative. That's for sure. But even if you did and you presented it to somebody, they'd yeah. be like, "This is too unrealistic. <laughs> like nobody's ever going to believe this." <laughs> Do you think Trump survives his entire four years? That is going to depend a lot on midterm elections yeah. and who get if if we can flip the majority from Republican to Democrat, then I think there's a good chance he gets impeached. Si, si puede. But if if the Republicans are able to ma- maintain a majority, absolutely not. They will not not impeach him at all. So It's interesting because we'll see... I, I saw that Trump is considering pardons for Manafort and pardons for... Uh, <laughs> for Cohen? And so, yeah, in... In order to like kind of help him out, so they don't yeah. flip on him or whatever. You should give him some hush money. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe Trump just thinks he can pardon himself, so he Maybe. thinks he can do well, all Well, I pardoned a turkey on Thanksgiving, so I can pardon myself. I think. <laughs> yeah, why not? You see, Admiral McRaven uh, threw his hat in the ring for presidency. No, I didn't see that. No. I like him. I don't know a whole lot about him other than his uh, leadership for special ops and being in charge of the Bin Laden raid. But those are pretty cool things. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't know. I'm skeptical of any political. Sure, at this point you have to be skeptical. No question. But he also said that he wanted to have his. I think he said, revoke. Was telling Trump to revoke his security clearance because it's so embarrassing how uh, prevalent he's doing that to some some high profile names. So I thought that was a a nice little um, protest. Yeah, apparently Trump just has a line of people that he's revoked security clearances <laughs> from, and he just is saving those up for any time a negative news headline uh-huh. comes out, so that way he can it's be just like, oh, like a, by the way, a threat I that this security clearance. Yeah, it's like a threat. He's just holding over these people's heads. That like, well, you better not act yeah. up, or I'm going to take this away. I'm going to put you in timeout, and you don't get to know everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's also like a don't look, don't look over here. Look at this. Look yeah, at, look at what's going on over here. I'm not entirely sure how security clearances work. I'll preface this with that. But, like, I think if Admiral McRaven wanted to know something, he could probably figure it out. Right? I mean, like, I mean, it depends on what it is. Knows. You know, it it depends. They're technically not supposed to. I mean, you know, that's the whole thing with the security right. clearance. You're supposed to be this uber trustworthy. Yeah, and I want it to be, no question. not going to give out information. Loose lips sink ships, no question. But it just... Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. We'll see how it plays out. I'm sure, you know, in the next week or so, the situation will be entirely different from what it is today. It seems so like every time we talk about it, it just takes a crazy new spin. 
Yeah, and and that's the thing that people need to realize. It's just going to take time, you know. Muller's building his case. He's he's tightening that net, but it's just going to take a while Mm because there's so much to investigate and so many different people, and you really have to make sure all your ducks are in a row because you're not just going after, you know, some poor, um, impoverished, underprivileged uh, minority in the inner cities for committing a crime who mm-hmm. is going to have a public defender. You have guys who have millions and millions of dollars at their disposal to get an excellent defense team and yes. the, the highest um, capability lawyers in the United States to defend them. Yep. So, after that blissful topic... Yeah. Yeah, let's get, uh, let's go ahead and get dark. Okay. We're going to get real dark here. Um, so just discretion to any of the listeners out there who may not want to have a cloud, a dark cloud over their day, or anybody who uh, is a victim of sexual assault and may be triggered by the discussion of those events, so... We're going to head on over to Pennsylvania, where just disgusting, despicable, horrific things have been happening, and unfortunately, and I, you know, I'll try to put some humor on some of these, but I'm, I'm not surprised, motherfucker. I'm, I'm not surprised at this point. It yep. just keeps happening over yep. and over and over again, and... And of course, we're talking about the Catholic Church and the scandal that's going on in Pennsylvania, a grant, an investigation into a lot of documents they had and a lot of claims people were making. And what was unearthed is horrifying. Yes. And I wanted to talk to Tommy about this specifically because um, I personally am not religious. I grew up uh, religious for about the first 18 years of my life, but. I am no longer, whereas Tommy is a... How d- Go ahead and describe your own religious beliefs so I don't get it. Uh, uh, outlined here. I am a Catholic. I am not the greatest Catholic to ever walk this earth, and that's a definition that would be hard to define these days anyways. But I am, I'm the type of Catholic that goes to church on the big holidays. Um, I wish I went more often, but I don't. That's my own fault. Um, I was baptized. I was raised as Catholic... I went through communion, and then I went through confirmation in high school. Um, So um, basically like two, one or two miracles away from becoming a saint. So that's my Catholicism. There you go. And so just to outline the situation, uh, so there's a big investigation into six of the eight dioceses. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Catholic, so I'm going to throw that out. The diocese in Pennsylvania. And this investigation unearthed tons of internal documents. The the report, I think, the redacted report is like eight or 900 pages of just information that they unearthed. And in six of these eight dioceses, 300 priests were found to have sexually assaulted, molested, raped, all, all along that spectrum from from you know zero to ten mm-hmm. um over a thousand victims and 
not only did that happen, but church officials knew about this to the point that I think they said they had close to a million documents um, on the abuse, the internal documents, Mm -hmm. over a million pages that the church had written stuff down, had taken people's complaints, all this stuff. And not only did they hear about these complaints, not only did they know about them, but they actively moved priests around. Yes. To avoid any sort of uh, legal investigation, to avoid, um, to kind of make it look like they're doing something when really they were just taking um, serial rapists and moving them from one church to another and allowing them to continue to be exposed to the general public and uh, potential future victims. Your thoughts on this stuff? It isn't gross. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. It's every negative adjective that you could describe. Thousands of lives have been forever changed. Uh, young, young people's lives will forever be negatively impacted by this, and there'll be thousands of hours of counseling and traumatic. Um, therapy that goes for the rest of the of these people's lives it's embarrassing it's awful and it's something that like you said we've it's it's prevalent it's been going on for a while now um as a catholic it's it's embarrassing to say that you're a catholic when these things are going on and it seems like the northeast in particular really struggles with uh these allegations of or these acts of child abuse and molestation um the that movie spotlight that came out a couple years ago um highlighted the the abuses of the catholic church uh in the boston area in massachusetts it's it's disturbing it's terrible um it makes you question your own faith and well why am i believing in this church and following these people if i can't trust anybody at a local or uh, and it goes up really high too um yeah and in along the lines of that um it going up really high it's not just that they have a culture of silence within at least these dioceses but i i feel like in the catholic church in general um but they had an active and this term has been thrown out there by um it wasn't internal, but it was more thrown out there uh, in the course of the investigation. They have a playbook on how to handle yeah. this so See, that it doesn't get exposed to the public. Yeah, if you're going that far, then you need to make some dramatic changes just in general and maybe shut down the whole operation until you don't need a playbook to get out of trouble like this. And, and let me just, I'm, I'm just going to read this real quick because the playbook's relatively short here. Um, but here is how... Um, they described their methods for covering up abuse and protecting priests. First, make sure to use euphemisms rather than real words to describe the sexual assaults and diocese documents. Never say rape, say inappropriate contact or boundary issues. Second, don't conduct genuine investigations with properly trained personnel. Instead, assign fellow clergy members to ask inadequate questions and then make credibility determinations about the colleagues with whom they live and work. Third, for an appearance of integrity, send priests for evaluation at church-run psychiatric treatment centers. 
allowed these experts to diagnose whether the priest was a pedophile based largely on the priest's self-reports and regardless of whether the priest had actually engaged in sexual contact with the child. Fourth, when a priest does does have to be removed, don't say why. Tell his parishioners that he's on sick leave or suffering from nervous exhaustion or say nothing at all. Fifth, even if a priest is raping children, keep providing him housing and living expenses, although he may be using these resources to facilitate more sexual assaults. Sixth, if a predator's conduct becomes known to the community, don't remove him from the priesthood to ensure that no more children will be victimized. Instead, transfer him to a new location where no one will know he is a child abuser. Finally, and above all, don't tell the police. Child sexual abuse, even short of actual penetration, is and has for all relevant times been a crime, but don't treat it that way. Handle it like a personal matter in-house. And this isn't this isn't this is how the grand jury summarized the methods that they were using. It's not actually they didn't write this out, the Catholic Church and like this is mm-hmm. exactly how to do things, but this is a summary, um, with a little sarcasm in in dark uh, yeah caught yeah it's so sickening anyway. but that, that basically revolting. sums up th- how they process these things when they right. found out about them. yeah and we've seen that in play it's yeah it definitely questions your faith and questions well why am i believing in this and why am i sending my kids to these classes and sending them through these programs and sending them to catholic schools if this is the type of leadership that they have and the type of behavior that they perpetrate and allow. Yeah, and so um, Pope Francis came out, and he spoke on this just a little bit, and he said, um, you know, we we showed no care for the little ones. Mm-hmm. We abandoned them. Yep. And this, for me, this just seems to be a constantly recurring theme. Yeah. And it always seems like Pope, Francis briefly apologizes, but never goes as far as he should, and never, never actually takes steps to make any change. Or basically, every time, every, when this happens, he should come out and say, "This is unacceptable." Yeah, we need to do a full investigation, ex external investigation, into the structure and organization of the Catholic Church as a whole. Right. And, and we need to uncover as much of this as possible, be as transparent about this as possible. And then secondly, he needs to say, if there are allegations of, of um, sexual assault by a priest, the first people who need to be notified are the police. Because mm-hmm. they never, it's, it's all handled internally. They all keep it internal. They do internal investigations. They look into it themselves. And... Nothing ever comes of it, but it's a crime. If yeah. a crime is being committed, mm-hmm. it needs to be reported to the authorities immediately. Right. <coughs> yeah. So, uh, yep. So, unfortunately, I think this is not the last time we will hear this. No, it's not. And and the other crazy thing is, so the investigation was into six of the eight dioceses in Pennsylvania, and just to get an idea, I just did some quick numbers research um, on the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania. And they have 
approximately seventeen hundred, seventeen hundred um total priests in Pennsylvania, whether that be retired, active, um, on sick leave, all that stuff. Um, some people could have been transferred out of state, so they're not including these numbers. But out of seventeen hundred, three hundred were accused during that time period, and it's like. That percentage is huge. It's massive. And to say this, you know, every you know every institution has issues with sexual abuse. They're just a snapshot of the normal population. Obviously, there is a larger percentage occurring within the Catholic Church than in other organizations. Yeah. Um, it seems like the Catholic Church... It's like they think it's so old and been around for so long that they can't implement any changes or just are unwilling to change at all, that they just are more willing to apologize and move on than to actually shut it down and make some like dramatic sweeping changes. Because like you said, it's just going to keep happening and we just get an apology and then move on. But like, at what point do we actually make some radical changes to ensure that these situations don't occur like ever not yeah. reduce it just don't occur ever yeah i agree lots of changes need to be made but i think the in order for those changes to happen it has to come from the con i guess uh, what is the word i'm looking for not constituency because that's more of a political term the congregation the the community of actual churchgoers themselves, the community of individual Catholics like who are the attending these churches, like the lay people, the people who yeah 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 the they the, should have you more know, power. the people who are who have their butts in the pews yes the people they who make need the to donations. be the ones demanding this yeah and and so then I I want to pose this question to you Tommy how do you as as somebody who identifies as Catholic mm -hmm. how do you justify it looking at this right now because like I'm not justify I'm not questioning just your no, I'm not no, no. questioning your belief in mm -hmm. Christianity as a whole, mm -hmm. but how do you justify staying within this denomination of of Christianity? There's, you know, Catholic is one of many. There's yeah. Lutheran, there's Presbyterian, there's Methodist, there's mm -hmm. Baptist, there's et cetera, et cetera. How do you justify I staying just in and identifying as a Catholic? Because I was born and raised as a Catholic, and I have went through the entire process of being a Catholic would be my answer to that, which isn't doesn't sound great given the uh, tumultuous situation that the Catholic Church is in right now. Um, if there's any consolation is the Catholic people that I know and the Catholics that I go to church with and the priests that I have been associated with do not exemplify this behavior whatsoever. And I'm not saying that the people in Pennsylvania, this is a small s snapshot because it's not. It's obviously a large amount of people and it's a rampant problem in the Catholic Church, so I'm not justifying that. But there are good people that practice Catholicism in a good way, in the way it's supposed to be practiced, and that's what I've known. So I've been fortunate to not have to handle any of these situations and be a part of this that I'm aware of. But yeah, it, it certainly questions what I'm doing in the Catholic Church because it's so prevalent. And how awful these, so, these so crimes and accusations are. So, and, you know, let me know if I cross no, the line. No, you're here, not going to cross the line. Okay. 
Well, you it, might. Not. I'm sure there were some good people in the Nazis too. But you know, like <laughs> at what point? At what point? What would have to happen for you to leave the Catholic Church? This is why I, I guess we'll, what I want now. Um, I guess it would be if it hit. Well, this is terrible because I, I would. The, my first thing would be like if it hit directly in my lap, like if my own future child was abused. I guess. But that it shouldn't yeah, come but, to that. But anyways. I think that it it shouldn't. But I think that is what you're saying right there is so true of things throughout our lives. No, you're right. You it, know, I like mean, that's unless a, something is directly affecting us. No, I get it. Even just saying that kind of like makes me cringe a little bit because it shouldn't be. If uh, injustice anywhere is a is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah, and so like, cause for me, I mean, here's what I think every Catholic should do. I think you should not attend a Catholic church until you see the changes that you want to see within that community. Yeah. You know, you don't have to... I I mean, kind of you do. You have to step away. You have to step away. And for damn sure, you better not put a dollar into the basket they pass around into the tithe box. Because if you do... You are you are paying for this to happen. Yeah. You are paying for the systematic rape of children and the protection of their rapist. It's hard to argue that right now. Yep. And so for for me, if it's just mind blowing to me because if you're a Catholic right now and you're attending church and you're tithing, at the very least. Stop tithing mm-hmm. at the very least because your dollars are literally being used to rape children. That's not that's not like no, that's not an exaggeration. It's not a euphemism. No, that's not like no, a that's, metaphor. That's, that's a pretty that's factual statement uh, right now. And so that that's the very least for me where I think if you are. If you are a Catholic right now, you need to find another church. And you find another denomination. There are plenty of denominations. There are some like little, little. Um, well, I went to a cat, uh, Lutheran school for a little bit in elementary school, yeah. and I wasn't a huge fan of that. Yeah, but so so what what uh, that that's um, that's interesting. So what like what did you find different that you didn't like? Um, the church itself was weird in terms of like I don't know. I just felt it was all like fake bullshit. You just like sing and dance in church. I don't know, mm-hmm. a little more old and school. So, and so that's one of the main differences um, with co- Catholicism versus other ones. It's more... Yeah, I mean, you know me, I'm a history nerd, and it, it's like, I don't know, it's more traditional, I guess. Yeah, it's more traditional. There's more of a, a ceremony, like you got to stand, right. you got to kneel. There's, there's Latin going on, and there's ancient prayers that have been going down, down forever. I mean, there's yeah, that so in every religion, but... <coughs> so... And I'm I'm sorry for this. No, so, do it, man. So basically, I mean, you're not lying. So basically, just the personal preference of the experience of going to church. It probably has something. Is is worth it to support child rapists? No, no, that's not a good reason, obviously. Because like do, at, at the Lutheran church, you're still learning about the Bible. You're still getting interaction. Yeah, there's with still God. the same basic principles. A, a of, message, right? Yeah, of treating others well and believing in a higher power. No, yeah, there's for sure that. I mean, my Lutheran take was kind of tug in cheek, but I don't. Uh, but I didn't like it, but not for any real serious reason. 
So, so don't you think that 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 I guess the inconvenience of not having the message being delivered to you exactly how you want it and that sort of stuff? Don't you think it's worth? Yeah, like no question. Giving that up for not supporting an institution that's committing horrible atrocities. Uh, yeah. It is. It, it probably <clears throat> it goes back to the fact that I think people tend to stick with what they know. And since I was born and raised as a Catholic, that that's just where I've been. And that's kind of what I studied. And that's what I've believed in my whole life. And it takes change, which people are uncomfortable with. Do something about that. But I don't want you to think that I'm I've been going down to my local Catholic church the last couple months and giving them my wallet because like I said I'm not the ideal Catholic and I'm not proud of that but I'm not the ideal Catholic in terms of how often I go and what like money I give them and stuff like that which doesn't justify anything obviously but that's also where I'm at well and and apparently you're being a better Catholic than large percent or you know large well as long as you don't (laughs) molest any children yeah I guess you're being a good Catholic and and so so let me ask you this like I went to I went to the Vatican for an Easter ceremony back in 2015 that uh, Pope Francis II um, performed. And I thought it was, mm-hmm. it was a pretty amazing experience. I mean, as a history nerd, being at the Vatican City on Easter, going through a Catholic ceremony on Easter, that was a pretty moving experience. Uh, but that's different than being molested in some back room of a Pennsylvania church. Yeah, and... And I, I get that there's like a weight and a historicity to Catholicism that you don't really get with some of the newer um, churches that are trying to conform to like contemporary society and yeah. like I mean be fu- more modern and have like a band right. and you know I, I mean uh, not to playing Christian rock and Switchfoot's not in the background and <laughs> yeah not to point fingers but. I mean, if you wanted to find a problem with a church, any church, you could find a problem with any church. And you can't rank oppression, and this that doesn't make up for anything the Catholic Church is doing, obviously. But, I mean, this Joel Osteen fucking fuck guy. Fuck that guy. A hundred percent. But <laughs> Like, these mega churches, they're all full of yeah. shit. They're all just tax evaders. Mm-hmm. When that s- storm hit uh, Houston... Uh, he didn't let anybody into his $4 million mansion. He didn't let anyone sleep on the floor there. That was the least Christian thing he could have done, and he did it. And he does so it all the time. So, but then to um, throw the Bible back in your face. No, you can, uh, but I'm just saying. Um, th- I'm not there's a, w- a specific verse that says take the, you know, if your neighbor has a splinter in their eye, you need to worry about taking the splinter out of your own eye before helping your neighbor with theirs. Right. And so, so you know the splinter in your eye right now yeah, it's a big is splinter. yeah and so so i guess what as an individual catholic what mm-hmm. steps are you going to take tommy how are you are are you going to behave any differently now that the evidence seems overwhelming that not only that these things are happening but that they're being facilitated by the organization of the church itself i mean i'm going to make sure that i'm being the pe- best individual that I can be. I don't know if I can go around and be a crime stopper. Um, I haven't been donating any money to the Catholic Church, so as you would put it, I'm not funding uh, the rape of children. But, so, are 
Have you thought about... Have I thought about giving know? up the Catholic Church? Yeah. Have you thought about, or at the very least... Um, Stepping back from trying it? Trying to contact church officials, trying to yeah. demand that they do something about this, trying to... You know, do, doing something to try to elicit a change. Uh, I have not. I'm not proud of saying that, but I have not. Um, but I think if you are a practicing believer in Catholicism and you want wish to continue, then that would absolutely be your obligation to do so. Yeah, because I think... I mean, I'm... I, <laughs> I think what has to happen... I don't have if, much of a good response, obviously, to any of this stuff because yeah. it's so terrible. And uh, it, it sounds like I'm trying to defend Hitler and, the, and of molestation. Yeah, and, and I think what has to happen if things are going to change is that, you know, y- Catholics can't keep doing what they've been doing. You right. know, they have to do something about it because if they don't do something about it, it's it's just going to be business as usual. They're just going to get better and better at covering up mm-hmm. what's happening, and it's just going to become more secretive. But what what's going to ensure that it stops is if the money stops coming in. True. You know, if they if they stop getting the money, they can't operate. Mm-hmm. You know, so so if you cut cut the source off the money, yeah. stop sending your kid to you know Bible camp, mm-hmm. stop you know tithing stop putting them i don't know do you have to pay for communion how's that work yeah it's a, it's a or like uh what's the catechism i'm sorry there's communion uh yeah confirmation. catechism's like the process that you guys go through to to be able to receive communion correct yeah that's so yeah well communion is like the the class that i took which you usually take in like elementary school middle school and then you take yeah. confirmation in high school is when i took it and that's kind of the last like big step to confirm your Catholic yeah. your belief in Catholicism. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the Northeast and pr- the Northeast in particular with Catholicism, very very bad track record. Not to point yeah. fingers at that region, but it seems like the the Irish Catholic Church and and the Roman Catholic Church in the Northeast really struggles with uh, with with all that stuff. Well, I think it also might be a numbers game. True, it's uh, probably more prevalent out there than it is. Yeah. Well, the, Cap- the, the Catholic Church is hardcore on the East Coast. It is, um, but there's a I have a big Hispanic population out here, and that oh, that's true. Ca- uh, it's very true. Very true. So I don't know. Basically, uh, if you're a Catholic, definitely don't tithe. Um, no, definitely maybe talk to your church leaders and let them know that you. Yeah, I like your idea about. Seems like it's got to come from like the the churchgoers and the lay people, and stop giving all this power to the higher ups and the clergy, because th- the real change is going to be made from the people who go and the people who donate money. Yeah, because because the higher ups and the clergy, they are just uh, you know they're just cogs in the in the the machine. You know they're yeah. just they're just part of. They're part of an overall system, and that system has systemized and institutionalized the rape of children and then the protection of their rapists. So we have to do something to change that. Like, in, And that's not going to come from the system itself. It has to come from the people who um, support the system and give it its fuel. Right. So I think you also got to take a look at the why. Why are these um, priests 
fondling little boys and little girls. Yeah, and I was going to get into that because um, I wanted to ask what your thoughts are on celibacy amongst yeah. the priesthood well, it's because that's now, something that's semi-unique yes. to Catholic priests. Right, and, and that's, go ahead. I think that's a big issue is the celibacy thing, and that's why these people are acting, or the priests are acting out the way they are because they don't have the normal sexual outlets that other uh, clergy of churches do have like in the Lutheran church the priests the pastors rather you know you can be married and have kids and stuff like that but these priests are just so sexually oppressed that they don't have the natural outlets to express themselves so that might be something that might have to change might have to change rather but like going back to the Catholic church being so old that it's like they're just so unwilling to change. Yeah. And just if somebody is so unwilling. I mean, that's so not an excuse, but. Yeah, if somebody's so unwilling to change it and you realize that, mm-hmm. like at some point you have to be the one to walk away. Right. You know, because like you know they're not going to change, mm-hmm. so you have to change something. Otherwise, it's just going to be business as usual. And it's. It's interesting, you know, because so you have the celibacy and maybe that's what started this whole thing off is the celibacy. Mm-hmm. But then you have the idea that who are the people who are going to be spending the most time alone with priests? It's the people who are religiously inclined, mm-hmm. who maybe want to be priests themselves. Yeah. So like then al- alter you have, you have, yeah. So you have those people then in turn getting, getting sexually assaulted by these priests Mm -hmm. well then then you have the the just fact that the a large percentage of people who end up sexually assaulting others have been sexually assaulted themselves so basically it's a it's a training program Uh, the catholic church has instituted and systemized a training program to ensure the development of future um of future rapists who are going to take powerful positions within this church Hard to argue. And yeah, and sometimes, sometimes, and this is what we have to understand as a society that sometimes, well, here, here, people, people identify with the groups, especially groups that play a large role in their life, especially groups that give them kind of a tribe and a sense of identity mm-hmm. and belonging and meaning and purpose, all of which you know fit fit the description of a church. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those systems that we identify with so strongly can be so broken that we just need to blow them up. Not like in the... Not literally. I'm not uh, endorsing not terrorist attacks on, on Catholic Vatican churches. City. No. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but th- we just need to start over. Um, you know, they're so broken yeah. and the, the, the flaws are so entrenched and they're written into the very DNA of the institution itself. Mm-hmm. You just got to start over, rebuild it, start from scratch, or find a different way. I get it. And it seems like this this, uh, this negative things are so deeply rooted within the Catholic Church that we don't even really know how deep they go. And that's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah, and Louis C.K. had a joke. And it's interesting because Louis Louis C.K. obviously has his own issues. Yeah. With um sexual things, assault things, stuff, self pleasuring, jerking off in rooms in front of people. Um, 
but you know he said he had this the, he had a sketch show or a skit show whatever you call him and um he went to a quote-unquote catholic church but it's just actors and he's like no the catholic church is an institution systematically designed and implemented for the rape of little boys and and he's like well, what about the god thing and like all that and he's like no no, no all that was just to get to the kids and it was it was it was super dark, but it's it dark. But there's not a whole lot of fallacy. It sounds like right now. Yeah. So we'll see what happens going forward. Will the individual Catholics take the steps that they need to take in order to enact real meaningful change? At what point will we got rid the atrocities of get horrible enough that they do that? And then um, what will Pope Francis do? Because his statements on all this stuff so far. Very lukewarm, well, very tepid, like not really committal to anything. He's condoning what happened, but there's no clear plan. There's no clear steps that he's going to take. He's just like, we're going to address this. We're going to do how much, something. I don't even know how much he can do. If, he, But then if he, he he's the <laughs> highest-ranking official. Get it. Like he's literally <laughs> supposed to be the voice of God to the humans. I get it. But he, I don't even know what his channels of power are in terms of making change in the Northeast or wherever these atrocities are going down. Yeah. I'm so we'll see. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on that whole situation before we move on? Um, no, it's just fucking, it's embarrassing. It's atrocious. It sucks. Yeah. So since we're already on the topic of sexual assault, we yeah. might as well stay in it. Um, have you seen... The most recent news on Asia Argento. I sure I have. Yeah, you said it right. Yeah. I sure have. This is a very interesting, complex story. Yeah, I'll let you take the lead. Okay. Um, Asia Argento is a f- semi-famous actress. She was uh, romantically, romantically linked to the recently deceased Anthony Bourdain. Um, he tragically took his life a couple months ago. Rest in peace. Uh, she's also one of the first people to speak up about Harvey Weinstein and his culture of rape. Um, so she was one of the, the forerunners of the Me Too movement. Um, really courageous individual who spoke up against um, horrible things that were going down um, for female actresses. actresses. And But recently... Uh, news came out that she had sexual uh, encounters with a 17-year-old when she was 37 in California. The age of consent is 18. Um, this in this young man um, is claiming that she sexually assaulted him um, at a hotel room in Southern California. Um, this They knew each other because they had been... Um, she had actually played his mom in a TV show um, back in the day, back when he was just a young kid. So they they met up at a hotel. He's claiming that she sexually got him drunk and took advantage of him, had sex with him. Uh, and then he ended up um, demanding money from her. I think she ended up paying him like $300,000, kind of hush money. Um, but she's saying that she was just being extorted. And that since she was with Anthony Bourdain, this young guy knew that um, he had money now, and she wanted uh, he wanted money from from Asia Argento and Anthony Bourdain. So a really complex story, a lot of 
he said, she said. But overall, um, an unfortunate story for the Me Too movement. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I just want to preface that by saying, simply because, so Adar Argento was kind of, you know, put in the spotlight during the Me Too movement because she was one of the women who accused Harvey Weinstein of raping her. And that, Harvey Weinstein, I guess, is kind of the thing that really got the ball rolling and really started kind of the Me Too movement. Um, And I just want to say, just because that whatever may or may not have happened allegedly with this young man, Jimmy Bennett and Asia Argento, it doesn't discount any of the other people who have been raped. Like people are trying to use this, like, see, look like, you know, the me too movement's bullshit. No, no, no. It goes to show like, like what I was saying with the Catholic church, people who are themselves assault, sexually assaulted tend to do it themselves, not tend to do it themselves, but the people who, um, are sexually or who are rapists or end up sexually assaulting some males they have a, a large percentage of the time undergone trauma themselves um regarding sexual right, assault well said but um yeah the so she alleges that it didn't happen that he was trying to extort her jimmy bennett uh was 17 years old like you're saying the the a, a damning piece of evidence or something that at least does not look good at all is a photo of them in bed yeah. together their foreheads touching and both of them shirtless Topless. covered up by the sheet yeah. so it's like so it definitely happened yeah allegedly um so well. y- you know they at the very least they were in bed together shirtless and you he, know yeah it, i mean alone it, it happened yeah so in the the interesting thing in all of this is Anthony Bourdain dating our Asia Argento. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have now come out some text messages between them of Bourdain saying that, uh, you know, this is bullshit. He's just trying to extort you. All that stuff. It's just a fucked up kid. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting to see the mind of Bourdain because Bourdain is saying, you know, this kid's just messed up. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't overtly mad. He wasn't accusatory that but he's like yeah you know kids sometimes you know get messed up ideas in their head and and Bourdain ended up actually paying the Mm $380,000 the money came from Bourdain they paid this kid off Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of speculation that maybe this combined with Asia Argento being seen with a couple other men while they were in a relationship kind of led to Bourdain's might have yeah contributed to Bourdain's suicide who knows? I mean, there's also a tweet of Anthony Bourdain, you know, saying something about the system and, like, what happens and blah, blah. And so people have jumped to conclusions that this is all a conspiracy theory, a sort of, you know, Jimmy Bennett's a pawn being used by Harvey Weinstein to then get back at Asia Argento. There's all sorts of crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And we don't know what's true or not, but there's no reason to jump to any conclusions the the fact of the matter is uh, a 37 year old very likely you know had inappropriate relations with a 17 year old mm-hmm. and it just goes to show that how 
widespread and how big of an issue it, it doesn't discredit the me too movement in my eyes it gives it more credit because it just goes to show how widespread that sexual assault is and how big of a problem it is in our society and how even people who've been victims of it can then in turn also become perpetrators and that we need to do something um, to educate people, to give them the proper therapy if they have been sexually assaulted to try and mitigate this as much as possible. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird it's a weird sexual fantasy that was going down there because I found it weird that she was like his mom in a uh, in a TV show and that kind of turned her on to want to have sex with him 15 years later or however long it was later. Um, yeah, very strange. It's a very strange situation. But also, Argento's from Italy, right? I'm pretty sure the age of consent there, I'm not making excuses, absolutely not, but I feel like the age of consent in Italy is like 16 well, well, many different states. Yeah, even in legal. the United States, some yeah. age of consent. Mm-hmm. So, Stu- are yeah, we ever going to know, like, how do we ever figure out what's factual here? Because it, it, cause Jimmy Bennett sent her a letter saying, like, I'm so glad I saw you, and, like, I'm so glad we rendezvoused and, uh, and did all these things, and then comes out, like, a couple months later extorting, or not extorting, but, you know, saying that he was sexually and abused yeah i don't know i really don't know and there was the story we'll that his like find out the truth yeah because a lot of times in these situations like there's what one person said is what the other person mm-hmm. said and then there's the truth and like you somewhere. know it's and i guess somewhere like, jimmy bennett had like a family member drop him off there what's that family member like what do they know what that where they're taking him like oh we're gonna take you to a swanky Hollywood hotel to meet up with a 37 year old actress just to hang out. Uh, I'm not sure what they thought was going on there. And then they picked him up and like, what was he like when they picked him up? Was he yeah. Still weird. There's, there's a lot of details that we'll probably never be mm-hmm. privy to. And, and we just probably won't find out what I've also never heard place. of this guy. Is that on me for not, uh, uh, am I supposed to know who this guy is? Jimmy Bennett? Um, I have no idea who he is, yeah. so, I mean, let's see. I mean, I know a little bit what more about him now, but I had never heard of him initially. Yeah, I mean, neither. And he was saying, like, his career see. fell apart because he was so emotionally shook up from this, but I'd never heard of him before. He was in Orphaned. I think he was in, like, the Amityville Horror. Bruce Almighty or something. Movie 43. Yeah, I don't know. Very strange. I don't see Bruce Almighty from Dust Till Dawn, the TV mm. series. Uh, well, I think the so yeah, he's not he's not a big actor. Yeah. He just kind of you know. Well, I think the big yeah. the big thing that you've that you brought up was the fact that this shouldn't undermine the Me Too movement at all. This is just a, yeah. a complex storyline within it. Definitely. And, you know, we need to change the dialogue around it in this country. We need to admit it's happening, you know, admit that we have an issue, admit that it's widespread, and, I don't know, lots of things need to change. Will it? I don't know. I mean, you know, 
we just looked at the Catholic Church and kind of, you know, what's going on there. It's going to take large changes for us to overcome this as a yeah. society. So. Well, anything else, Tommy? Um, how about one last um, unhappy topic? Uh, yeah. Were you following the, the Molly Tibbetts saga? So, no, only loosely, only while I was running on that treadmill. So this is somebody in Iowa? Yeah. Correct. She's a 20-year-old that female, um, a student at the University of Iowa who had gone missing about I'll a yeah, I'll let you take the lead on. Yeah, so well, let's even go back further. I when I read Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, I think you kind of crime shamed me for reading and enjoying that book. What are your thoughts behind that? Cr- crime shame. Crime porn. Yeah, I I don't know. I just have an aversion to it. Yeah. Um well, cuz it's so weird like why I don't know why, but this story just captivated me. And I'm trying to f- wrap my head around it. It's kind of like the Natalie Holloway situation, too. And is it yeah. something to do with just, like, a pretty young girl goes missing? And then, like, because that happens all the time, but they don't all look the same. And we don't always fall so head over heels with the news story. But then, like, every now and then, we do. So I was I was keeping that in the back of my mind while I was, like, checking updates on this daily. And, like, I was asking yeah. myself, why... Why am I so drawn to this? I've no, I've never even been to Iowa. I have no connection. I didn't know this person, but yet I was like, I just couldn't. It was something so mysterious about it that I couldn't look away. So there is something about mystery and like not knowing what happened and wanting to figure it out because that's why you know that's been going back a long time till you know something super early I can think of is a uh, Roanoke. You familiar with the that? Roanoke Colony? Island uh, thing? Like yeah, off the coast exactly. Of North Carolina. What happened? Oh, I'm yeah, still fascinated. What by happened that. there? Didn't they write like crow they, on the side of a tree? And then, yeah, like, maybe and so the Native Americans came. And so there's there's this fascination of having kind of this mystery and and not knowing what happened and wanting to try and like find it out. But I no, I don't know why. Maybe it's just what gets publicized. I don't know why we latch onto one and not the other. Mm-hmm. The reason I have such a strong aversion to it is because my mom was a huge Nancy Grace fan when I was growing up and so she'd watch Nancy Grace just going in on CNN on all these people committing the crimes and saying with exact certainty what happened and it's just it's I don't like you know paying such close attention to horrible things and getting kind of like a thrill and enjoyment out of it that's fair just that's just me no that's fair there's enough going on in the world um what or if it is, I like it to be fictional rather than, than based in reality, so that way I can kind of separate myself from it a little bit. Right. Well, so going back to the Molly Tippett story, story um, so her body was found within the last couple of days um, in a cornfield in Iowa. So a, a terribly tragic end to a, a month long or so search for her body. And the person that they have, um, who they arrested and are going to charge for this crime as a 24-year-old male, an undocumented uh, immigrant who's been living and working in the area uh, where she was found for like the last four to seven years, I think is what I heard. Um, So this Mm -hmm. is just huge, huge fodder for the the build-the-wall people, for the um, kick-all-the-immigrants-out people. So uh, a tragic end and something that's only going to complicate 
immigration even more in this country. Yeah, and unfortunately in this country, we... So now every person who's over here to work or to live from another country is going to be thrown into this category. Yeah, and unfortunately in this country, um, when when the news publicizes something, and it's, you know, natural human reaction, if you're hearing about in the news, you think it's happening everywhere. And, you know, this is something that Steven Pinker uh, outlines in his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, or The Angels of Our Better Nature, whichever one it is. But because of our inundation constantly with news, with these negative things, with murder, with crime, with terrorist attacks, all these things, we have a tendency to develop a bias and think that these things are a lot more prevalent than they really are. And so when one thing happens where an illegal immigrant commits a horrific crime, then we're concerned about all illegal immigrants committing these crimes and thinking they're super prevalent and stuff, when really the percentages show that it's it's not that. You know, it's not that significant of an issue. And you're right, it is unfortunate because this will just be another talking point for um, a lot of lawmakers when discussing immigration, when discussing what to do about it, when discussing why we have to secure our borders, not let as many immigrants in. When in reality, a lot of the legal immigrants are perfectly law-abiding who take jobs that are unwanted by um American citizens and actually provide this country with a very valuable service. So unfortunate this happened, and especially in this way, because the the whole thing is just a John Grisham novel where yep. you know, um, you know, he confesses to the crime, leads him to a body mm-hmm. in a cornfield. Like it was mysterious what happened. She disappeared while jogging. Yep. It just it writes itself. He quote unquote blacked out and doesn't remember what happened. He just opened up the trunk of his car and she was bleeding from her head. Yeah. Terrible. And so that's that's I guess one form of crime porn I can admit to when I was younger. I did read several John Grisham mm. books, a, ti- a Time to Kill, The Firm, um, and a number of others. So. Did you read Capote's In Cold Blood? No, mm. nope, didn't do it. That's not a happy read. Um, but there's a lot of I'm sure it's not. But it's like in Kansas, and it's like this rural small town where like you no know, one locks their doors and no crime ever happens. And I just I thought there were a lot of parallels between that and this crime. And that's something interesting that I kind of want to discuss is the the difference in cultural norms and how we behave. Like you're saying, small town Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, people leave their doors unlocked. That would never happen in Tacoma, Washington, or, you know, the south side of Chicago, <laughs> or, you know, Any really major there's, there's a lot of places where that wouldn't even be, like, you would be insane to leave your door unlocked, you know, you'd oh, end yeah. up with a homeless person setting up camp in mm-hmm. your living room, or you'd come back and all your stuff would be gone, and it's just, it's interesting, wh- why do things develop the way they do, is it? Is it just that when so many humans are forced into a really small space of a big city that they the incentives to survive are Ramp- elevated? Yeah, ramped and up. so, yeah, the competition's ramped up and people have to do that. You would think we'd, like, tribe together to, like, have strength in numbers just from, like, our ancestors, but it seems like we just are very quick to turn on each other. Yeah, and... I guess that's not always true because then I look at uh, Japan 
and obviously Tokyo is one of the most populous or uh, populated cities in the world. Super safe city, though. Yeah, but so within Japan, and that's another interesting case study in and of itself. Because uh, I I was listening to a podcast with uh, David Cho on Joe Rogan, and he was saying as a as a foreigner who went to Japan as a young child, he would steal people's bikes because nobody locked their bikes up because nobody stole. Hmm. You know, nobody nobody took bikes, yeah. so he would just as a as a foreigner coming in, he'd take people's bikes and just steal them and ride them around. But uh, Japan, their criminal element is like given its own corner to play in because they have the yakuza, and it's a very large part of their society to the point where they were saying that even large companies like Coca Cola kind of have to negotiate with companies in Japan and then also the Yakuza <laughs> in order to do you there yeah what's up okay yeah I'm back cool. sorry no worries had to say goodbye to Lauren she's headed off to base canyon oh what's that hiking not nah, a concert EDM oh. oons, 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 oons. where's that located the Gorge, ah. which is like uh, Quincy, Washington's the closest town, but it's out east. Fun, fun. Is there? So, where were we? Um, <laughs> we think we're wrapping up the Molly Tibbetts story. Oh, yeah, Molly Tibbetts. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Uh, I didn't have mo- a whole lot left to say. So, yeah, unfortunate situation. Um, hopefully... This doesn't galvanize people against immigrants into this country, yeah, legal or otherwise. It will. So. We can just be further divided. Good. <laughs> That's what we need. Keep it light. Keep D- it tight. Divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Anything else on your radar? Um, I think I'm all set. That was a good uh, eclectic list per usual. What's um? Yeah. So what's the next step for for Podcastville? The next step is well, getting a legit logo. <laughs> um, more legit, you I, mean? Yeah, more okay. legit logo because ours is definitely legit. Yeah. But uh, getting us on the Android platforms because you know that's a large percentage of people Kay. out there with their Samsungs or their whatever. Okay. And then um, we'll have to play it by ear on recording because I'm sure both you and I will be busy with our upcoming fire academy. I will be, but I can always sneak in a like a seven to ten. That works for me for the most part. Yeah. I say that now, but what th- we'll see. What time's your academy? Um, I think like it technically starts at eight, but you got to be there like an hour beforehand, if not earlier. And we have this like thing where we have PT two times. It's like a separate class two times a week, and that's at like 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., so that's uh-huh. even earlier. So and it's going to be really long days, but um, the we have the weekends off, so that should that should help. Eight to what time? You go eight to five? They say five. I don't, I've, I've heard some days we'll get let out early, and some days they'll keep us a little bit later. That's almost the exact same scenario I have yeah. with Bates. Um, eight to five. I don't know about PT. I think PT is involved in or included. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why it's like a separate class because we're going to be PTing during the academy. But 
Yeah. I, just, I don't know. I mean, there will be some days where you just... Probably some days that are more classroom You know, classroom, 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 classroom. Sure. Yeah. I still am, I still have to pick up all... I'm actually about to go pick up my turn up gear, turnout gear at the academy. But then, like, my actual, yeah, my actual like, dress uniform uh, isn't even in s- the store yet. So, I got to hound them again and figure that out because yeah. I got to show up day one. Do you, do you get to keep your... Are you renting bunker uh, gear? Yeah, I'm like renting the turnout okay. gear. Okay. Um, the uniform you keep because pay for it, but the rent, the other stuff's just a rental. Gotcha. Yeah. So. That'll be fun, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. Thank you. I'm excited. Um, I'm just kind of stressed out about getting all this shit together before the first day. No, I feel the same way. I gotta <laughs> do that shit after I'm done with this. Podcast. Yeah, I gotta. It just sucks when like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing on my end, but like I gotta wait on other things to to fall into place. Yeah, it sucks not having control of yeah. certain variables. But I'll figure it out. And bang on some doors and get it taken care of. Yes, sir. Well, best of luck. Thank to you. you. Yeah, I'm sure you'll do great. Appreciate it. Likewise. I'm sure, you're well prepared. Likewise, yeah, I've been diving headfirst into the uh, the Ifsta Brady book. Taking yeah. all the good notes there. Good stuff, my guy. Yeah, man. I'm sure I'll uh, I'll be texting you over the weekend, and then I'll let you know how my first couple of days go. Yeah, and then we'll figure what's out your podcasting. And definitely. What's your schedule? Uh, are you Monday through Friday? How do you know yours yet? Yes. It's Monday through Friday. Okay. Yes. So maybe weekends or something. Yeah, weekends, Saturday, Sunday. Cool. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, college football starts this weekend. Yeah, buddy. Not any big games, but I'll take it. Yeah, it's something. And then, oh, that's the other thing I want to talk about. <laughs> um, UFC, the Gaethje versus Vic. Mm, the, yeah, it's not a great card. I just want to talk about James Vic. When, when is that? He's fighting for Team Lloyd Urban, who, um, you know, there's some gang raping going uh, on out there. That's never good. Yeah. So, huh. anyway. But that's the that's Saturday. No, wait. Yeah, Saturday, the 25th. So. Team Gagey. And my, actually, one of my high school wrestling teammates is fighting on that card. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yep, Andrew El Dierte Sanchez. Wow. Um, he's fighting, so whatever. Cool. Maybe I'll uh, check that part out. Alrighty, brother. All right, man. Good catching up with you. Good luck rest of the day. Thanks, you too. Have fun sitting in traffic. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Later.